This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side. It's Monday morning, top of the morning to you. And by the way, Spaghetti Day. Happy Spaghetti Day. Now that you're back to work, I happen to bring spaghetti today. I'm telling you, that's a good sign. If you bring spaghetti on Spaghetti Day, that means you're going to have three more months of winter. I left off in some places. It's Divorce Day. Really? Uh, apparently oh, this is the point where people try to true. make it through the holidays, give it one last shot, and yeah. then first Monday, yeah, we're done. It's it's sad because <laughs> the tragic irony, it's also the day you get all the bills for, for Christmas, Christmas yes. and it's divorce day. But it is a lot of, you know, a lot of people wait till the new year to file divorces because whatever you are at the end of the year, whatever status you are, is the ta- or the, that's what you'll pay for taxes. So if you were married, you can file joint this year. Or for last year. <sighs> Tragic. It's the worst day. Horrible day. But you know what? It's the beginning of a new year. We're back. Cute little Ben wearing his cute little red sweatshirt. Is that new, Ben? No, I've had Turn your mic on. <laughs> I've had it for about four years, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was like the grunge look. The grunge look? The new. You, you buy it, but it looks lived in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is. This looks is like a cat. Art- Birthed in it or something? It's just really, really. This is used. authentic. Pretty authentic. A cat birthed in it. Yeah, that was a, a way of explaining Ugh. an overused Ugh. item of clothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's been sufficient usage. What, what did you get for Christmas, Benny? Hmm. I got a scarf, a hat. Scarf. Wow. Got some books. Millennials. Boring. Did you get anything fun? Um, did you get? Uh, I got vanilla for my ice cream. Wow. Wow. Hmm. That's the stuff I like. It's just sad. Yeah. What'd you get, Benny? I got vanilla. <laughs> I got I got me some vanilla and I got a scarf. A scarf? Ben, come on. Got a knife. Was it a big knife? It's a pocket knife. Oh. Oh, that won't help much. You can whittle. Good job. What you need is a twig. <laughs> and then you can go I can make a shiv. Yeah. You can go, but then I have the knife. Yeah, so a shiv is kind of redundant. Yeah. Hey, uh, interesting. Well, uh, boy, I hope you did better than that. Got a TV. Did you? Yeah. Not a great TV. A TV for the second bedroom in the basement. Man, how many TVs do you need? Just we have one upstairs. Oh, one that's, downstairs. Yeah, that's where you go. Just when, when you, I get when in trouble, bad, right? or, or if I'm doing work. Right. We go down there, and you have a little TV, so you can. That's what we call it, like when you're doing work. What work do you do at there's a, home? There's a computer. Sometimes oh. I need to do some. Sometimes you need to like, yeah, look robust for some... audio editing. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to question it. <sighs> My wife crunches the books downstairs. I think I had a better holiday than all y'all. Could've. Did you get another hoverboard? I got a hovered IED. <laughs> no, I didn't. Did you see all the videos of yeah. people falling down on Christmas? This guy is, did you see the video of the guy like, see, it's on fire. <laughs> It is on fire. That's $600 on fire right there. My, and then the fire my, department, it's not as, I mean, they, they these things explode. Yes. But they don't explode like an IED. No. They just kind of catch fire. It's like an M80. 
there were several videos in malls. People were driving them around, yeah. and they just sort of catch on fire, and then all of a sudden the plants are on fire. We like, didn't what? get one of those. We oh, gave okay. our kids longboards. Okay. We didn't. Santa did. All right. And, you know, we kind of informed them about the fact that they explode. The other, Not the longboards, the hoverboard, and that we didn't want them to lose their feet. And then we showed them wars uh, or a video of people in war. We we watched about nine movies and we saw Star Wars. Nice. Nine movies because we, we have a new system. I'm not going to talk about it. It would be an advertisement, but it's incredible. <laughs> and it edits movies basically for you in a very legal way. Okay. I, I read the public disclaimer on that website. It's okay. incredible. I watched everything I've ever wanted to see. Edited. Sure. It's amazing. If you edit enough, it Trim like cuts the movie in half. Yes. Time-wise. It's powerful. If you take out those parts. Mm-hmm. Nine movies. Uh, what else did I do? Played basketball. Mm. Recovered for about six days. From that one game of basketball? Wow. Yeah. Well, not even a whole game. Oh, really? Played a half game. Okay. We started playing whole th- or full court, and then my, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm like, ah! Lots of three-pointers? Tons of three-pointers. That's the that's the Stephon Curry effect. The Steph Curry effect. Did did your plantar start acting up? You know what it did in my other foot. Oh, good. in my non-plantar well, it, foot. It, it's because you're compensating. Pardon? You might be leaning on that other foot more. Yeah. Which causes it more stress, I'm more compens- strain. No, I'm compensating. And you overcompensate. Well, yeah. And in I, you one know of what? many areas, I might add, but we're not going to go there. Exactly. You know that's why I wear the lifts. Um, you know why? Uh, <laughs> what's interesting is I learned that that's why people trash talk. What is that? Because then you don't have to move as much. Okay. Because I can make fun of the guy at the top of the key with the ball. Oh, yeah. But I can do it when I'm not down under the hoop. I played with my boys, and my boys are good. They, uh, they're they really good at the crossover dribble. I only fell for that like four times. Literally fell. They have a great crossover. Went to a jazz game. Okay. Jazz Trailblazers game. That was great. Way, way up there. Way, way up there. I stopped going because when I was a kid, my father would get tickets, and we ended up sitting against the back wall. Yeah. I'm like, eh. And those back walls are cold. I can watch from home on TV and get a better picture. But now they have such a – they have a huge screen that you can watch the game. It's just like sitting about five feet away from your television. Right. So it dawned on me, why aren't we just sitting five feet away from my television? You're already paying for that. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, um, I'm losing my voice too because we I went to some of my kids' ball games on Saturday and there was a referee issue. Okay. And I, I'm hoarse now. Were you yelling at the referee? Yeah, the refs. Wow. <laughs> this is Little League basketball. Were you clinically diagnosing the ref? No, but the ref, it was on the dole. How do you – oh, really? Totally. <laughs> Both was, refs were on the dole. They were taking bribes. Because the, the coach of the other team is the guy that – Puts their schedule together oh. and pays their check. Conflict of interest. So I found that out from the Mother Underground. Okay. There's an underground. I love the Mother It's of- like the mafia, yeah. but it's all the moms on the team. It's where all the good information is. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, well, you know, we, he, we've seen this a million times. Mm. He basically is the guy that writes the checks to these two refs. So when I heard that, I started yelling, oh, making it good with your boss. Mm. Stuff like that. It's pretty harsh. It's harsh. Yeah. Did you go down and apologize after? No, no. On the way out, I talk smack. (laughs) (laughs) You can just see. I'm mad. 
<clears throat> anyway, I did everything you're not supposed to do. Yay, youth sports. Woo. Yep. Bringing out the best. That's up. In hour two of the show, we're going to be talking about character. And I didn't have any. That's why I wanted to do that. We also, uh, in this hour, we'll be talking with Joe Cannon about politics. We're going to get uh, the scoop uh, from our Washington insider. Got a lot of questions. It was a really, I loved how quiet it was politically. It's like they all had to go in and have new batteries put in. Unless you watch certain uh, New Year's Eve shows. Oh, there were yeah. specific New Year's Eve shows that was just a parade yeah. of politicians. You're like, ugh, blah, don't need that. I know, I agree. Didn't need any of it. We just watched movies. I know it's true. That's all I did. And then and, it turned midnight. We both went, huh? And we kept watching the movie. And I got a lot of sleep. I slept in, and then last night went to bed about nine thirty. Well, I went to read. Hmm. Finally, fell asleep around three. Do you read your book to put yourself to sleep? Pardon. Sorry, go on. What was that? <laughs> no, I don't read my book to put myself to sleep. I really need to go to that, sleep That'd fast. work out pretty well, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I'm asking. Hey, Ben, who gets vanilla for Christmas and thinks he hit payday? Oh, I did. Don't talk about my book. <laughs> um, anything, anything going on around the world we need to pay attention There's to? There's quite here? a bit going on. Armed protesters have occupied a building in and an Oregon Federal Wildlife Reserve, according to CNN. The, pro- the protesters believe that the officials have unfairly pushed ranchers off their land and they expanded a, this national wildlife refuge in Oregon at their cost. We are using the wildlife refuge as a place for individuals across the United States to come and assist in helping the people of Harney County claim back their lands and resources, said Ammon Bundy, who is acting as a spokesperson for the occupiers. Here's more from Ammon Bundy. When the people of Harney County can use the land and resources without being put in fear and without being restricted to the point that it puts them out of business, once they can use these lands as free men, then we will have accomplished what we come to accomplish and there will be no need for us to be here. We'll go back to our families, back to our occupation, back to our homes. Bundy, the son of Clive and Bundy, a Nevada rancher who came into the national spotlight in 2014 when he staged a standoff with authorities over the Bureau of, uh, from the Bureau of Land Management, a dispute with them. The seizure of the wildlife refuge came after a protest in support of Dwight and Stephen Hammond, who, two ranchers who have been convicted of arson in uh, 2001. Uh, the Hammonds say that these, uh, these protesters don't represent them and all this other stuff. So, yeah, you have a wildlife hmm. refuge federal building. It's occupied men are there with guns that's kind of what it looks like are there do they have hostages no well okay yeah can't you just wait this out that's kind of well it seems like they're going to need food well they have food they're they they, i saw a video this morning there's women that are there and they're making soup okay but it seems like eventually you'd run out of food Yeah, eventually but they probably go shoot something on the refuge there's wildlife it's implied in the name well i don't know yeah i doubt it it's really well. The complaint now is, you know, you have protests in Ferguson. You roll out the National Guard. Guys show up armed to a federal installation, yeah. and there's virtually no response. Even this morning, they're saying the FBI is saying they're in charge of the situation, but there's no presence. Nobody sees any law enforcement around. Right. Well, it just and it's just kind of a slow it, rollout. I think to if this. the media would just go away, yeah, it'd be over. Yeah. On Twitter, they're being called uh, yeehotists, <laughs> vanilla ISIS. Tally Bundy, Yokel Haram, and Yal Qaeda. Oh my, Yal Qaeda. Yal Qaeda. Welcome to Yal Qaeda, y'all.
So kind of interesting development. But they're there. saying we are not terrorists. That should con- we just use weapons, and they're peaceful. Even though there's unless there's you're a federal lawman, Donald Trump. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Hillary Clinton mentioned in the Democratic debate that Donald Trump was being used in recruitment videos. Yes, and then they went to find the video, and no, there wasn't really a video. One. The Clinton campaign sort of backtracked. Well, a video surfaced over the weekend. No, so they, it's a new video, though. Yes, right? They a made new one. it. Yeah, they just made it recently. Okay. But they did, are did using. The, did the Clintons make it? No. Okay. They are using Trump's comments in videos, sure. and uh, his comment was that he's going to continue. To say what he wants to say because these other people, there's they use other people in the videos too. What I'm, what am I going to do? I have to say what I have to say, and you know what I have to say. There's a problem. We have to find out what the problem is. We have to solve the problem. That's what hmm. Donald Trump said in, in response to that. Wow. Obama, President Obama will take part in a televised town hall Thursday to discuss gun violence in America. The town hall, which will be hosted by Anderson Cooper on CNN. Okay. Uh, take place at George Mason University. Town Hall will come just days after Obama met with Attorney General Loretta Lynch to discuss whether he can take an executive action that will address gun violence. So uh, he's he, the president is now going to take on gun violence. Well, guns, guns. He's now just, he is. It's going to cause problems because he's doing something with guns. Mm-hmm. Big time. And finally, do t- you know what today is? Well, today, yes, I do. You've heard it's... of you've heard of Black Friday. Uh huh. Today is Black Monday in the in the NFL. What the first mean? Monday after the end of the regular season, the teams that haven't performed well fire their coaches. Unless you're the Eagles, and then they got a jump start on it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> One there's, game ahead. There's a couple teams that fire their coaches all during firing. the season. So far, yeah, let's see here. So the Eagles got a jump start. The 49ers, as they called it, relieved their coach of his uh, duties. Cleveland Browns fired their head coach and general manager after a three and thirteen season. The Indianapolis Colts are ready to set are set to fire their coach. Not really fires contracts expiring. They're not doing very well. Okay. He's probably going to go out oh, the door. He's a good guy. And the Saints, Falcons, and Giants may also be making coaching changes today. The Saints. Yeah. They're, wow. They're not. They're not seeing eye to eye. The coach there has been successful. And the Giants. But, and that the makes Giants, sense. And who was the other one? Falcons. Wow, but the Falcons, they're doing okay, aren't they? No. Okay. Not with it, not, not, not the team wants to be more successful. So there could be a lot of jobs open. You could put your resume in and see what happens. You know what? No, I'm tired. <laughs> I don't want to learn another thing. Hey, that's, that's what's interesting is the uh, Chip Kelly apparently there is being looked at by the 49ers. Yes. Which I do not understand. What do you mean? Well, if, if he didn't succeed in Philadelphia mm-hmm. – and he had one of the lowest performance rates yes. as a coach. Fast, fast offense. Yes. Why would they want him in the 49erville? It could be a whole new situation there. Well, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be the same coach. Well, that's what it? they would say is that it's a new place. We'll give him more uh, freedom. He can go out and get the players he wants. Let me just show you something. Oh, go ahead. Some of these teams haven't succeeded for 20 years. Yes. So maybe the problem is ownership. Could be. Is there not a point where the NFL says, we got to, you know what? There's a property issue there. I know. Yeah. That's where we need the Freeman in there. Okay. (laughs) Need some protests? We need a protest. Somebody needs to go in and occupy the Browns. There you go. That's sad. They're awesome. Okay. Well, good news, I guess, in a bad way. Hey, uh, great show coming up for you today. Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. We're going to ask him about uh, all things political. This is it, folks. 30 days about till, uh, till till the big caucus in Iowa. Then we can get some of these silly races off. Let's get them off to a good start. 
I'm, I'm tired of talking about it. Let's start, start some voting. We'll be talking politics up next here, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the holiday break, did you did you enjoy, you know, having fewer politicians yapping away? Or did you miss it? Did you miss everything that was going on? There were a few uh, interesting changes. A little, uh, you know, uprising here and there. Uh, some of them even internal on some of the campaigns. So we wanted to bring in our great... Uh, our great political expert, our Washington insider, we call him Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that has one goal to lower uh, the fuel costs for um, Americans. That's the goal. Make it more affordable for us to be able to drive our cars, get around, do our make money, basically, right, with our fuel. Um, uh, Joe has an interesting background. He was a chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, also served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. EPA agency under the Reagan administration, was an editor also of the Deseret News, which is a a major um, newspaper here in the Intermountain area. And uh, Joe's on the phone with us, giving us his insight today. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. How was your holiday? No, it was really good. It was really fun, and I spent very little time thinking about politics. Oh, isn't that like great? You in your <laughs> Don't you love that? I loved just not hearing about it. I loved that Trump. I guess Trump just had a holiday. Well, I mean, he's he. You still heard more from him than anyone, but he he's he's still he's still leading. He's still on fire. What do you think? As we're about to enter this final month, uh, is he going to carry it all the way and win Iowa? I don't think Trump's going to win Iowa. Actually, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. You think He's Ted waiting. Cruz is going to get it? Ted. Well, Ted Cruz is is doing really well. I will say one thing about uh, just on Donald Trump for a sec. Uh, uh, you know, one of the funnier cartoons I did see over the holidays was. Uh, why don't you think I can get Mexico to uh, pay for the wall? I've gotten the media to pay for my uh, campaign. Oh wow, <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's so true. That's so, a great. I, I wish that had come out of his mouth. Um, uh, then, then we'd be hearing about that, wouldn't we? We don't hear about it otherwise, unless he says it. It doesn't seem like anyone else can get any fuel. So you're you're thinking Trump's probably not going to win Iowa. Do you think he'll be able no, to get yeah. New Hampshire? Well, um, okay, so it's so hard to figure out those dynamics because, I mean, the polls show him ahead in New Hampshire, no no question about that. But when you really start digging down into New Hampshire and look at where he's gone over over time, he's basically been stuck in a 25-plus percent uh, uh, pattern hmm. so for, for a long time. I mean, going back to September – had one blip up above 30, but all the rest of the the average polls over that time show him kind of in the 25, 26% range. And you've got in um, Rubio, Cruz, Christie, and Kasich and Bush, I would say the people who are 
in double digits or near double digits, twice as many voters who like those candidates collectively than who like uh, Donald Trump. Hmm. So, you know, I think I think it's probably a safe bet that he would win, but there will be nothing convincing about this win. And as soon as, uh, you know, Christie Kasich and Bush get out of the race, then you're down to, I doubt very much, I don't know this, but I, although I do think some polls show this, that uh, Trump is not anybody, very many people's second choice. Yeah, right. So he, he's got what he's got, you know, plus or minus. And yet, yet everybody else, uh, I'm not even including Carson in that New Hampshire number, you're uh, plus 50 for everybody else and roughly 25 for Trump. So he lo- just say he loses uh, Iowa and say he loses badly. And I think he's a little bit worried about that. Yeah. Uh, which is why he's actually now spending some of his precious money. He said he'll he'll spend uh, on, two million a week. Yeah. So so what's that going to do? I mean, he already has so monopolized the media. Now he's going to invest, I guess, two million of his own dollars a week this month to nail down Iowa. Right. And I I don't know if you saw the ad, but the ad is nothing more than just. Um, clips from Trump saying stuff that he's already said. Right. I'm not sure he's breaking any new ground. I think he's just trying to reinforce uh, you know, what his positions are, basically pandering to Islamophobia, uh, you know, talking about the wall. I mean, he's talking about the hot-button issues that have got him his core crowd, and maybe that's a strategy. Now, you know, he's so loath to talk to politicians, but there is something about tactics and I, I don't know who's advising him. I, I can't find out who's advising him. Yeah. Well, but, one, uh, one of the things we keep hearing from other uh, experts is, you know, the difference with Iowa is you, you kind of you need to have feet on the street. You need to be hitting every one of these 99 uh, cock or uh, what are they called? Counties, I guess. And he's he's not quite doing that, is he? He's not a Huckabee well, that's yeah, got 150 yeah. of these things planned over the next month. Yeah, yeah. He's not, uh, as near as we can tell, he, he, as near as people can tell, he's not, um, he doesn't have the, the I, I, I know it's so trite, but the boots on the ground. You've got to have, every one of those counties counts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these people again, know, I, they know if you've been there. They know if you were in the diner, right? Now, he, ha- he has spent time in Iowa himself. Yeah. But the question is, who's organizing Nancy Smith to get out to Dubuque for the uh, caucus? Right. So, someone has to do that. And uh, a lot of the players there, even, like you say, a smaller player like Huckabee, who hardly registers, even in Iowa, he hardly registers, he will get more than his 2.6% share, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Iowa. Now, now, there's another dynamic playing, though, uh, uh, which could really be interesting in, in, uh, in Iowa. If, if, if Cruz significantly beats Trump in Iowa, what, a lot, what I'm hearing, and I, I, I kind of resist your political insider thing about me, but yeah. as it happens, I have talked to a few people over the holiday. <laughs> And, um, and sort of conservative leaders. Uh, uh, well, let me let me drop one footnote. The idea that Trump, that Cruz and Rubio are 
at polar opposites is actually crazy. I mean, right. they're both All right. really, really, really conservative. Um, but Rubio, well, so point A is that uh, there's this enormous desire all across the party to stop Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you when you get down when you think about it that way, how's that going to happen? What who is the candidate most likely to defeat defeat Trump? Well, Cruz is trying to own that piece of real estate, as is Rubio. Yeah. What I'm sensing is is that a, that a significant number of conservatives, people who really like Rubio a lot, are saying, I don't know, maybe he can't get across the finish line against Trump. So I'm seeing, I'm feeling a little coalescence, not just feeling, and I've talked to some people who are, you know, maybe some of whom are going to be making announcements in the next few weeks that are just going to say, look, we love Marco. We love him. Uh, he's the most likable guy. We think he's more likely to defeat um, Clinton yeah. than uh, either Cruz or Rubio. But we got to stop Trump. Job one is making sure we get a real Republican heading the ticket. Hmm. So I'm feeling a little coalescence, and that some of that might even be seen in Iowa, but more tellingly in uh, in New Hampshire. Is that with Christie? Because Christie's making a move. Is he? Who would they coalesce? Who would the uh, you know who would the establishment GOP coalesce around? Well, Cruz. I have no idea what is meant by the establishment. Right. GOP. But like, I'm not criticizing you, but but when people say that, I think, uh, well, who, who are they talking about? The, the the establishment in the Republican Party is conservative. But but is it's not it's not Cruz conservative, is it? Not no, not necessarily. But it is, you know, it's it's, it's Bush conservative. It's yeah. moderate conservative. Is that what they call it? I don't, I don't think you could say well, any one of these candidates okay. is moderate. Right. Okay? That's true. No, uh, right. Not, not any one. Even Bush. Even Bush is not a moderate candidate. So he's moderate relative to Cruz. Right. Okay? Right. And almost anybody is moderate next to Trump, who is an immoderate person, <laughs> personally. So when you're when you're so the establishment, meaning the non-Tea Party, the non you know what are called. Uh, uh, you know, fundamental conservatives. Yeah, there, there's. I'm not saying there's not a split there, but all of those people are united by one thing: they want to win. Right. They don't think they can win with Trump, and and that's the least of the problems with Trump is that not only can he not win, he's got many other defects. So the question is, how how do we coalesce around somebody who can win against Trump? Say so again, phase one of this is you got to get Trump out of there. So I, I think you'll see hmm. some some jockeying around. Yeah, Christie's making a big push. There's no question. Uh, Christie's goal is to beat Bush. Christie's goal is to be the fourth person named when you say Trump, Cruz, Rubio, and who? Yeah. And he wants to be that guy so that, that he has something, some momentum going, uh, going into the, the rest of the uh, primaries. But I, I think, uh, honestly, and I really like, Christie is a, just a, I was going to say hugely dynamic speaker, uh, and he is. He's a very interesting guy, probably make one of the best attorney generals in history. But um, don't, I don't think – I think his high watermark is going to be uh, whatever he comes up with in New Hampshire. Hmm. So, so now when you, with that says, you have a lot of people who like Cruz, like Rubio. They do draw a lot from the same base of people. 
what I'm hearing and feeling is is that a lot of those people, even in New Hampshire, are going to say, you know what, let's let's um, let's start moving a little bit more toward Cruz. Hmm. But that's that's what I think is happening. Interesting. So a co maybe a, a potential coalescing around Cruz um, to take on Trump. Right, and that's and that is from some people who really like Marco Rubio. They're, yeah, is Cruz is Cruz electable against uh, a Clinton? Well, oh boy, there's so many dynamics around that that we just don't know. We don't know is Hillary going to implode? Is there going to be a really tremendous hardening up of her support? Uh, basically, is is she able to electrify and ignite? Uh, her base, uh, the, the Democrat base, which is, you know, to the left of her. Mm-hmm. How's all that going to work? Uh, Cruz, Cruz, I mean, in the in the latest uh, averages of uh, real quick politics, they're at a dead heat at 45-45. But it's hard to know what that means. I mean, each party is going to can rely on at least 40 percent of the vote. Right. Maybe a little bit more, no matter what. You know, they're. It used to be called yellow dog Democrats. People who would, you know, Democrats who vote for a yellow dog as long as it's a Democrat. But there are also yellow dog Republicans. Yeah. Uh, so the real question is out of that that margin, who who is going to appeal? Who's going to excite their base the most? And you can make a pretty good argument that Cruz can excite that base on, mm. on the right on the right hand side. Yeah. In fact, let's let's talk about that. Let's take a break and come back, Joe. And I want to talk about uh, President Obama is now proposing gun legislation, which it seems like is then going to reignite the gun debate throughout this next political year. I wonder if that's going to help or hurt Hillary. Um, I'd love your insight on that. We'll take a break. Come back more with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. First week of the new year. Buckle in, folks. Uh, it's going to be a crazy month politically as everyone's gearing up for the Iowa caucus and uh, caucuses and also uh, the New Hampshire um, primaries as well. On the phone with us is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can find out more about their work to lower the energy and fuel costs here in the United States. If you go to their website, fuelfreedom.org. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Where are you today? I am in Irvine, California. Mm. What's the weather like? Nice weather? It's raining and it's going to be in the 60s. For people people down here, that's like an Arctic freeze. I know, that's freezing. People put coats and hats and scarves. Yeah, it's the end of the world when it gets into the sixties down here. <laughs> yeah, they got to get back here to Utah and feel what real cold is like. What do you think about President Obama? He's it looks like he's gearing up to take on guns in his last year. Uh, lame duck or not, he's going to pass some gun legislation, I guess, or you know, uh, some executive orders. Won't that won't that kind of uh, fuel the the base of the GOP? It seems like that might not be 
a really positive thing for Hillary. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's start. Overall, people are pretty evenly split, and and Gallup polls people are. If you ask, they answer the question, "Are you interested in stricter gun controls?" About fifty-five percent of the people say yes. When you look at lots of other polls, and including you know really good polls, it's it's more evenly split. So the question is, that where the where the split really is, Democrats. So I'm just looking at a, a there's a Quinnipiac poll, there's a, a CNN opinion research poll. Uh, there, it's you know it's it's very much more nuanced. If you look at who who really supports more gun control, seventy percent. 77% of Democrats support and 21% oppose. And by the way, 21% is not trivial. But when you look at Republicans and independents, which make up the bulk of together, the bulk, they're pretty much the same. Hmm. Uh, you got Republican support, gun control, more, more strict uh, gun laws, 47, and independents, 44, which is actually a little less. And then they're 50-50 on, um, on opposing. So... What this does is it, it, it stirs up the base, uh, a, a, the very hardcore part of the base, but wow, uh, President Obama tries to make it look like it's just Republicans who don't want gun control. Mm -hmm. But there, there's a reason uh, there's not going to be any gun control legislation passed in any Congress uh, beyond what we've already got. It's, it's, it's You know, they might do things on... Uh, on mentally ill and, you know, you know some kind of uh, more serious background check. Yeah, the gun show kind of loss. Yeah, yeah. it's, um, you know. But it seems like this isn't, if it's going to hurt somebody, especially if Cruz is going to eventually, uh, with his much more kind of Tea Party uh, roots, this might, this might give him the turnout. In a, in a national election that might help him in the general. Yeah, this is a big turnout issue, not necessarily just Republican base. I mean, if you look at the state, if you look at Virginia, which is an important state, North Carolina, oh, yeah. Ohio, uh, even Michigan, which is typically a very blue state at the presidential level, Pennsylvania, hmm. full of gun-owning Democrats, full of gun-owning Democrats. So, yeah, it, it, it may... It may help solidify the very far left base uh, for Hillary, uh, and it, it's something clearly that President Obama cares a lot about. So I don't yeah. think he's making a political calculation here. I think this is what he really believes. Right, and he can get it done uh, in a year. Let's. And he also he's got he can walk it on the back of San Bernardino and you know other other mass shootings. So there's there's energy behind it. Well, there is some energy behind it, and no question there. Well, there's a lot of energy in people who are, you know, concerned about what happened in San Bernardino. But you got to remember, California has the most strict gun control laws in the country. So, right. what is it that you're going to do that's going to make that better? Hmm. And and the answer is there's there's not much, which is why you're not going to see much in the way of legislation. But I don't I don't actually think President Obama is making a political calculation here. I think he's yeah he's I think he really he really believes it. Oh sure, I just I, I'm sitting there thinking that Hillary also wants to win the the election, and in a way, it may not seem like she's as supported by the White House as she might want to be. 
gun ownership, the gun, the gun issue has never cut well. It sounds really great on the headlines and, wow, devastating, horrible, terrible things happen. Uh, but when you get right down to it, the, the people who don't want stricter gun control laws as a very influential block of voters in, in mm. most states. Oh, yeah. Is, talk about Hillary. Um, she's, it was really interesting to see Bernie Sanders fundraising. He he did really well in fundraising. I mean, just a few, I think, four or five million dollars behind Hillary is all. But he had two point five million donors with an average donation of twenty seven dollars per person. I mean, he's Bernie Sanders is is has enough money now in his coffers to go pretty much head to head with Hillary in at least Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. He has a. a a pretty good chance in each of those states, although, like the the bulk of Republicans, the bulk of Democrats, they want a winner. And I don't. I think when you look at the polls and look at uh, who do you think can win the nomination, who do you think can win the presidency, uh, Clinton waxes Sanders yeah. on those on those questions. So he's got a lot of supporters. I mean, you know, I I live in Utah. Uh, I have yet to see one Hillary bumper sticker, and I have seen dozens of Bernie mm-hmm. stickers in, in Utah. That is a good uh, promo, Utah. So it's you know, true. Um, he could, he's he's got a lock on on the social justice, um, hardcore, um, you know, activist part of that party. Yeah, a lot of the people who were all in for President Obama early on are all in for Bernie. But I'll just say that Bernie is not Barack Obama, and and that's a big problem for him. Right. What What do you think about uh, Ben Carson? Had a few of his campaign leaders uh, leave, and advisors, including three of his top advisors, left the campaign. I mean, that to me sounds like the ship is sinking. Um, so I think Ben Carson's ship sunk, you know, you know, probably in November. Uh, I think he reached his high water mark. Again, he's one of the most liked people, but he he has never managed to turn that uh, idea that I'm I'm a president. President Carson doesn't roll off your tongue, and right. his demeanor just didn't it just didn't work and so it doesn't matter you know all this is just uh, clearing the deck chairs i mean he's his, his campaign's going nowhere yeah he's he's done and then you're thinking after iowa will we have a, a few others that aren't competing in new hampshire will they will they just jump out of the race after iowa or will they wait till we kind of do the run of ohio or of iowa new hampshire South Carolina. How long will people stay in before they start jumping? Yeah, I think everyone who's in now, although you know Governor Pataki, your your listeners' favorite, <laughs> you know, he dropped out. Yeah, there may be there may be some others dropping out who are very very marginal. But I think everybody who's in, you know, Bush, Kasich, Christie, uh, Rubio, Cruz, they're all going to stay in through New Hampshire and. and some of them may stay in, in through, um, you know, if Christie gets a bump, he might get some fundraising. He might decide to go down to South Carolina, but he sure doesn't play that well in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, What should we be looking for? Uh, anything that you found in the back rooms, in the 
coat closets, hanging out with the insiders. Anything going on that uh, we might want to be watching out for? Well, just the thing I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I think you know, I'm sort of sensing a lot of people who love Rubio are thinking to themselves, we got to stop Trump. And I think that will manifest itself. And I, I, think, I think Rubio will do less well in Iowa than it looks right now and less well in uh, New Hampshire. And I think Cruz will do better in New Hampshire than it looks like he's doing now because of the sort of in, interior shifting to say, look, we have to stop Trump. Hmm. And they're really saying Cruz is the best guy in the GOP right now to stop Trump. It seems like you. What one of the benefits of Trump is he's a brawler. That's why I thought Christie was maybe doing better, because he is a brawler. He's somebody that will take people on. He'll speak well, direct. Uh, I would say... I would say if you're looking for a brawler, Cruz is pretty much of a brawler, too. Yeah, I guess he I, I is, think, isn't he? I think one thing that happened that uh, – I guess I will say one quick thing that happened. I think Rubio hurt himself in the last debate in two ways. One one way, which I feel very sorry about because I agree with him. But, you know, he's, he sort of went all in on, on immigration. And, and, that, and that, is a, that is a third rail issue to the base of the Republican Party. The second thing he did, which I, I do think is a mistake, is he tried to demonstrate that there was some difference between him, Rubio, and Cruz on national security. And, and there may well be something there, but to point out one vote on one bill, which is very abstract, and try to say, wow, there's this ocean of difference between me and Ted right. on national security, just didn't sell. It's just, no, no one believes that Cruz is going to be soft on national security. And, uh, and so I think those twin, twin things, uh, strong on immigration, hurts him with the base, uh, putting distance between himself and Cruz on a, on, a, on a very ephemeral appearing, I think it's an ephemeral issue, but an ephemeral appearing issue. And that coupled with, you know, how do we derail Trump you're, you're starting to get a lot of people saying, okay, maybe Cruz is the guy. Wow. It, some, of whom are, some of whom are holding their nose. Yeah, oh, right. Because they, they, they love Marco Rubio. And then, and then how well will Cruz play to the national audience? And, and the female voter is a whole other story, isn't it? Right. I mean, you, you, they may get what they want in stopping Trump, maybe a little tougher. Yeah. To be be Hillary, although as I say, the polls right now are it's a dead heat between Hillary and uh, and uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, right? Wow, it's an interesting, it's a crazy race, isn't it? Who to thunk? Who to thunk it? Uh, well, anyway, Joe, we appreciate you. Have fun in uh, California. I'm sure you're there to work, not to have fun, but to keep uh, put, keeping your ear out there. That'd be great to to have you back again next week. Okay, talk to you next Thanks, week. Thanks, Joe. Joe Cannon's his name. Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. Find out uh, how Joe is and his organization are fighting to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break, uh, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, Donald Trump says some things every once in a while that 
you know, you just can't believe he said that. Did he just bring that up? And But some things he, he, he talks about are really important. Um, for example, his hair. <laughs> Uh-oh, somebody has sprung a leak, apparently. No, that is Donald. Uh, Donald is... Um, He's frustrated by, uh, according to the New York Times, a report where he actually said these words. They don't want me to use hairspray. They want me to use the pump. He's referring to a 1990s law that phased out the use of aerosol hairsprays due to the damaging uh, impact they have on the ozone. So Trump said blaming the regulations on President Obama, although they actually stem from a 1987 protocol signed by then-Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, Trump went on to explain to the audience that the pumps make the hair products come out in big globs and then it gets stuck in your hair and you say, oh, my gosh, I've got to take a shower again. My hair is all screwed up. So. He's on the he's on the case, folks. Wow. He just says anything. I think that's what people really like about him is he says Anything. So he's he really just says what's in his head. Well, he's willing to tackle the issues that are important to the common man. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're a bald guy, he's not your president. Yeah. But if you're a female and you need hair care products or a male that needs hair care products, he's your guy. Um, I really do, though. There's something about him where he'll just say what he's thinking. And, you know, some think that's crazy. But you know what? Not a lot of spin either. I mean, he'll say it. Then there'll be spin after he says it. But when he says it, he means it. Interesting stuff, folks. Uh, It's going to be a big year for politics, isn't it? We'll take a break. That's the first hour of the show. Stick with us. Next hour, we'll be talking character. Four things you need to ask to understand where your character is. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the show. This is the program where we give you the tools, the information, everything you need to uh, live longer, happier, healthier lives. Top of the morning to you. Just reached in my pocket, pulled out three chapsticks. Stocking up? When one chapstick is not enough. Wow. That's why everyone in my family was like, where'd my chapstick go? You just kept stealing it? Yeah, pocket. I have a pocket full of chapsticks. That's weird. Top of the morning to you. Great uh, show coming up. Character. When you think of somebody that has character, who do you think of? Myself. Okay, you're not. Uh, you, we probably need to define it. What I think I am a excellent not not a character. Oh, a person of character. Well, I, you know, like I'm there too. Yeah. No. No, you are totally. I'm not saying you're not. You are. Uh, that didn't feel genuine. That felt forced a little bit. Kent there, Sanders will be joining us. Right. He's going to talk to us about character. You have character, and you are a character. Interesting. Speaking of character, Ben's took, with took us today. Took a while today. to get there, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure how genuine and sincere that no, was. No, it was totally sincere and okay. genuine. Um, four subtle clues th- that reveal a man's character. Kent Sanders will be talking to us about it. Ben is with us. T- ben oozes character. 
Well, he oozes. I don't know. Character is the. For Christmas, we asked him last hour what he got for Christmas. Let me summarize. Uh, a bottle of vanilla extract. No, vanilla bean. Oh, sorry. He got vanilla bean. Yeah. Like actual beans or? A, a yeah. bean. He got a bean of vanilla. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. And he got uh, a four-year-old sweatshirt. Bag of wheat? Bag of wheat. If you're going to get seeds, are you getting wheat? Maybe no. some sort of. He got a pocket no. knife. And he books. got, Don't forget he got the books. a book on making ice cream. I got plenty of books. He's got a lot of books. He had a really, let's just say, bad Christmas. Socks? Did you get socks? I did. I got a lot of socks. <laughs> wow. It was like well, warm feet. It's yeah, half the battle. There you go. Well, you have to understand, last year I was in Germany, and I didn't get anything. So so this year they give you something similar to that? Yeah, bean. No, it they was awesome. Bean. <laughs> what, what did you well, get that's fun? That, that's all stuff I asked for. Wow. Seriously. You need yeah. to aim higher. You well, need to get a date. <laughs> well, I did ask. Oh, I, I got tickets to a BYU game? event. Did, did you, are you, and you're going to take a I got a two. Date? I think it was a subtle clue from my parents. Like, go on a date, young man. Yeah. Well, today's spaghetti day. That might help. It's oh. also trivia day. It's spaghetti day. It's the day you eat spaghetti. Right? Yes. It's the day that we celebrate the great gift of spaghetti. It is a wonderful thing, I guess. I love it. I brought it for lunch today. And who would love that better than a pastafarian? Right. They're 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 based on their love of pasta. Pastafarians. It's a it's a religion in New Zealand according to uh this latest article says that now pastafarians can perform weddings because it is being recognized as an official religion. It's kind of a mock you religion. It's the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. <laughs> Are you kidding me? See, this just thumbs. Ugh, this is bad. It's degrading religion overall. Anyway, according to the New Zealand Gazette, the application from the religion known as Pastafarianism was approved last Thursday under the Marriage Act of 1955 which now allows them to marry people. The principal object of that act of 1955 is that the organization must try to uphold or promote religious beliefs or philosophical or humanitarian convictions. He points out that the government can't make a value judgment on an organization's beliefs, only that they uphold and promote them. So as long as you're promoting pasta, then, and you're from the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster— then you are a church, and you can now perform weddings. That word. Ben, Chew, chewing spaghetti? turn your mic down, pal. I'm, turn your mic down. I'm endorsing them, so. Now, uh, Pastafarians. Yes. They are seen as a, light, a, a light-hearted social movement. Okay. They, they take a light-hearted view on religion and oppose teaching intelligent design and creationism in public schools. Okay. And so they, they, they kind of get this sort of treatment where if you see them, they're wearing like a spaghetti strainer, a yeah. noodle strainer <laughs> on their head right. as they're doing this. But they're, 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 their whole point is, in their mind, religion is confusing, so we're going to make kind of have a, a lighthearted spin on it. And when they come knock on your door, they're, they're postulatizing. 
and they want science taught in schools. Well, I know, but then why don't you call it the order of science for schools? Because they want to have some fun and wear spaghetti strainers on their head. But if you are dying, they will administer ravioli rights. Your last ravioli rights. Your last ravioli rights. <sighs> What's happening to us as a country, as a world, I guess? There are worse things than that. Really? Yeah. They're ruining pasta and religion. I don't know if they're ruining it. I mean, there's got to be people in Sicily that do not like this. Well, there's people in Sicily that don't like a lot of things. This might be one of them. I wouldn't mess with Sicilians. I watched <laughs> The Godfather. <laughs> you said that. A clean version. I watched a clean version of The Godfather, which was about 45 minutes shorter than the unedited version. And apparently the first hour is just a bunch of people asking for favors. Yeah. Not to give away the movie that came out 30 years ago. Yeah, I think everyone's seen it. <laughs> Came out 40-something years ago in the 70s, didn't it? Anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, had a great Christmas. Life is great. Gained 10, 15 pounds. Started working on plantar on my other foot. Is that your goal for the year is to not get plantar? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get plantar. Okay. I'm done with that. That's a good goal. Yeah. It's I, achievable, too. Once you once you beat plantar, you don't want to go back. <sighs> Beats ice cream, making ice cream. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a real, I mean, this is a real hobby, beating plantar. Well, mine's mine's a business, not a hobby. Maybe beating plantar. I think to be a business, you actually have to make money. Oh, I've made money. Like actually make money. Yeah. Not like not receive money from people. No. Like you have to have to make a profit. I've skipped school and made profit. Yeah. Totally. You put your future in doubt for ice cream. Totally. A market that has been uh, fulfilled, I think. I am giving up donuts this year. Okay. For as long as you can withstand the temptation. I've cut a little deal with Benny that he's going to bring me new flavors of ice cream every other day. And then we will promote them on the show. And that's a business plan of some kind. It's a great plan. Yeah. You get free ice cream. Uh No more donuts. You mention ice cream. I mention the ice cream. That probably no one's going to buy. No, people... Oh, you think so? Yeah. Okay. Ben makes some seriously good ice cream. (laughs) Ben's like, what are you doing to me? I mean, it smells like a dorm room. Don't get me wrong. Well, you know. But... Smell is is the next step in the process of... It's half the battle. The business. Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the world we need to know about? There is. Thanks, Matt. Armed militiamen took over a federal wildlife refuge in Oregon on Saturday to protest the prosecution of two local ranchers and the federal government's land use. Dwight and Stephen Hammond, a father and son of Burns, Oregon, are scheduled to report to prison this morning after a judge ruled the sentences that they had served for arson on federal land were not long enough. I think they served a three, four months. Now they're saying they need to go back and go serve for like four years. Mm. So they, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a step up in the, the penalty. Um, the, the Part of the fight is that this area, this uh, southeastern corner of Oregon, about looks like about 70% of it's owned by the federal government. Huh. So they're in the middle of federal government land. And, and, they're, and apparently this wildlife refuge has taken more land. And when they take more land, it takes it away from the ranchers right. who are trying to earn a living. Right. So that's caused the protest. Ammon Bundy, who's the son of uh, Clive and Bundy, who had the problems in 2014 near Vegas right, with the right. federal government, right. his son Ammon is up here leading the fight. Well, when government steps outside of its uh, bounds that the people have given it, that it is the duty 
of the people to put that government back in its place. Yeah. There's Ammon. Well, it's, yeah, so, but they're just going to end up in jail. Uh, yeah. Or worse. Or worse. But they'll end up in jail, and then it just seems like that will be more problems for everyone. Huh. At so, least they took over a office that nobody wanted. No, well, nobody was there because they're on holiday break. Well, and right now, there's hardly any police there. Right. It's no, like... Well, there's there's some police, but the, there's no one there trying to maybe stop people with guns taking over a federal building. They're just kind of watching and waiting to see you what You can happens. just see the feds sitting back in some office in D.C. saying, yeah, we'll get out there. I think I'm free next Thursday. There's really not a lot of urgency when it comes to this, it feels like. Oh. Now, the FBI has taken over, they said. But there's some reports is there's no actual FBI presence in that area. Yeah, they're probably laying low. They are being referred to on Twitter as uh, Yalqaeda. Yeah, you got to watch out. They're terrorists, Yalqaeda. Yalqaeda. So interesting things. That'll continue. Ammon Bundy, the group spokesperson, but uh, the uh, the two, the father and son, Hammond, uh, father and son that are supposed to report to prison today, say that these protesters don't speak for them. And hey, we have nothing to do with these guys. Yeah, we are going to prison. We're fine with it. Bernie Sanders raised thirty three million in the last quarter of twenty fifteen. His presidential campaign announced on Saturday. Operatives for frontrunner Hillary Clinton had speculated that Sanders may have outraised his main Democratic opponent over that period due to complacency over her polling lead. But on Friday, her campaign said that she brought in fifty five million dollars. Mm. So, wow. She's making money. Overall, the Vermont senator trails Clinton in 2015, raising $73 million to Clinton's $112 million in campaign funds raised. Bill Clinton back on the presidential campaign trail, and so is his baggage. For months, the former president has largely stayed out of the 2016 race, mentioned mostly in passing by Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton on Monday. Today, he will head out for his first solo campaign event with stops planned in New Hampshire, the key primary state that uh, gave much his his uh, much needed momentum to his struggling 1992 campaign he'll do so uh, days after attacks from donald trump uh as he implicates uh, decades old sex scandals from clinton's past as uh as part of all that so a new poll oh boy 49 percent of americans are angrier about current events now than they were a year ago the poll, which was conducted by NBC News, Survey Monkey, and Esquire magazine, also showed that white people are the angriest, with 54% saying they have become angry over the past year. That compared to 43% of Latinos, 33% of African Americans. Furthermore, hmm. 73% of whites say they have become angry at least once a day, while 66% of Hispanics and 50% uh, 56% of African Americans say they felt that way. Mm. So 73% of whites say they get, they've been angry at least once a day. Uh, at government? At politics. Oh, at life? Okay, politics. The poll also I mean, I'm found, angry every five minutes. The poll also found that Republicans are angrier than Democrats. 61% of Republicans saying that present times anger them more than, uh, than it did a year ago compared to 42% of Democrats. So it's where people are mad. They're angry. That's why this... And angry more often, apparently. So maybe that's where Trump's getting in. Could be. People are angry. That's what he's tapping into. Because hmm. he says that. He goes, people are angry. And they, they, they get back, yeah, we are. We are angry! <laughs> there you go with politics. The Boston Globe is having some issues getting their uh, newspapers out to subscribers. 
they went to a new delivery system and there were some hiccups and so people weren't getting their papers. So over the weekend, the Boston Globe editorial staff went down and delivered newspapers. Oh, I'd love to see that. There's video on uh, I saw on Twitter of the editor of the Sunday morning, the Sunday paper of the Boston Globe walking up to a woman's house, handing her a paper and... They did that. Some of the papers took till maybe 4 p.m. yesterday to get out, but they got the papers out. Huh. Now the question is, are they going to continue to do this every day, or are they going to find a solution? Yeah. That's a protest in their own way that this is ridiculous. Why can't we get our newspaper out? We're in a dying industry, and now we can't even deliver the product. Isn't that you – can, you can almost feel that there's something else going on there. Yeah. So the people that they shafted by changing the system maybe are making it harder. Maybe. Hmm. Don't know, but they they had uh, reporters and editors and all kinds of people out there delivering newspapers. Oh, that's good. Good. See, that'll humble everybody. Ah, character. That's character, right? You're on the editorial board. You got to get the paper out. Don't just tell everybody to do it. Get your character. Get in your car and go deliver the papers. In a few minutes, we'll be speaking with Kent Sanders, who wrote a uh, wonderful article: Four Subtle Clues That Reveal a Man's Character. Uh, four subtle clues to reveal your character. Are you a person of character? Well, there's four conversations you need to be paying attention to. And uh, just do a little test. It's one thing to judge all of the national kind of political figures. It's another thing to look at your own life. Stick with us, folks. We're going to be talking about character up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever heard the phrase, they've got character? You know, that usually means that someone has charisma or a particularly strong personality. But is that really what character is all about? How do you judge a person's character? Not their personality, their charisma, or their charm, but their actual character? Our next guest today is Kent Sanders. He's the author of the article, Four Subtle Clues to Know a Man's Character, and he joins us now live from Missouri to talk to us about how to recognize the character in another. Kent, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. You bet. Honored to have you. And I love this article about uh, recognizing the, the subtle clues of a person's character. I mean, explain to us, just, I guess, define character for us, because so many people may think they know what it means. But from your perspective, what is character? Well, I think character is pretty simple to define, really, when you get down to brass tacks. I think that character is who you are when no one's looking, or I suppose when very few people are looking. You know, we can all put on a good face for other people. We can put on a good appearance, whether it's, you know, online or through blog posts or through media or whatever. But when it really comes down to when nobody's looking or when very few people are looking, it's really easy to be totally someone else. Hmm. I mean, really, because other than that, it's... I guess it's just personality. It's it's it could be politics. It could just be survival skills. Character is what you're doing when no one can benefit really from what you're doing, but you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, character is just it's who you really are, who you really truly are on the inside, and mm. what you're really like. Why and why is it so important? I mean, I know religion teaches that. I know grandma taught that. Mom and dad taught that. But why? where does it matter today, in today's day and age? Well, I think re- religion, you know, and faith does play into it to an extent. But I think foundationally, all of us know 
that character matters because character is the foundation of trust. And trust is really the foundation of, of all of society if you really just kind of get down to the nitty-gritty of it. Because without trust, you can't function in a relationship with someone, whether it's, you know, an, like a really high-level governmental type of thing, whether it's marriage, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with work or with any sort of community relationship. If you don't trust someone, fundamentally, you can't have a functioning relationship with that person. So hmm. because I believe character is the foundation of trust, You've got to have character as a person in order to have really a functioning relationship with someone. Or at some level, if you don't have character, that relationship's going to break down at some point. Yeah. I mean, it really – and the mere fact you've tied it to trust I think is – that's the that's the bond, right? If I don't trust you, how do I communicate with you? If I don't trust you, oh, how do I – you know, how do I partner with you? How do I build a coalition or a team with you? Exactly, exactly. And I think – Really, this is the reason why so much, so many things in society have broken down or are breaking down, because on so many levels, there's a fundamental lack of trust within organizations, institutions, governments. Um, and, you know, in many ways, uh, people of faith have broken the trust with people, leaders, yeah. you know, because of abu- abuse situations or other type of situations, right. moral failures. So I think this is something we see across the board in all of society, even in even in faith situations. Well, we we see yeah we see that the the millennials' belief, uh, the younger you know twenty four to whatever thirty four year old or eighteen to thirty four year old age generation they believe in institutions far less than we used to, and even doctors, in faith leaders, in government, um, trust just isn't there. And in fact, it's interesting as we look at the political race. The, how low the trustworthiness is or our trust uh, ability to trust somebody in the top leading candidates we don't even trust. It is. It is. And, you know, and part of that probably is due to over the last few decades in American politics, particularly, it's become so much more about appearance and sound bites and how a candidate looks and how they can, you know, how slick they can be in their marketing and production and all that stuff, rather than strictly who is this person really on the inside. Mm. I, I agree, and I think I see it so much in marriage, in family issues. Um, but what the, one of the things it seems like is we're using two different systems, right? So there's the trust system, the character-based system that seems like it's so essential, it's so critical, but then people can go out with a really strong personality and have great success even though they have no character. So, oh, that's a, yeah. So, how do you choose? Career. How do you choose which, you know, which master to follow—the character master or the get the quick results master? Well, I guess I would say I, I would hopefully not have to choose. Hopefully, you have someone who is a good leader, who can communicate well, who who is a good organizer, or has the skills to do whatever it is that they need to do, whether it's in some type of leadership role or maybe it's an artist or maybe it's a musician of some kind or governmental leader, whatever that person is. Hopefully they have the skills to do what they need to do and they have the character. But if I had to pick, I think I would go with someone more on the character side. And the reason is because you can teach a person with character skills to a certain level. Yeah. But you really can't teach character to someone who doesn't have it or who doesn't want it. Yeah, it's like when I'm hiring somebody in a, in my company, I can spend a lot of time just looking at their competency, their list of attributes and abilities and their their education. 
But also – but it might be easier to just hire somebody with character and teach the skills. I heard a great quote once that said, we tend to hire people for their competency and we fire them for their lack of character. <laughs> That's very true. I think that's really true. I've not heard that before, but wow, yeah, There's a lot of truth in that. But it, it, but it, it's it's a little easier, I guess, to see everything else, right? To see to see all of the other accolades, the other you know, just the the numbers and um, the other successes. So character, it's a subtle thing, and I think that's why you put this article together. Is there are some subtle clues that help reveal a man's character. You wrote the article, um, and you basically give us four different clues. Many of them are about how we speak to other people. And um, the first clue you say of, of that reveals a man's character is how a person speaks to their wife. And you were referring to men and how men speak to their wife, but you could be talking about how a wife speaks to her husband, I'm assuming, right? Oh, of course. And I wrote this article on a, a site called The Good Men Project where I write, and I also am an editor – and so I naturally focus it toward men, but the principle applies either way, of course. So teach us about why about how character is revealed just in how we talk to our spouse. Well, we've all probably seen people in a you know a store or a restaurant or somewhere where there's a group of people, and one person has whether it's a man or a wife, uh, but I'm, of course I'm a guy, so I'm speaking from a guy's point of view, where where the person has said something critical to their spouse. Maybe it's kind of a biting comment, or I can recall a time when I was out having dinner with a friend, and um, his wife called, and he was visibly irritated that his wife was interrupting him in the middle of dinner. And uh, the way that he spoke to her was sort of this curt, uh, slightly irritable tone where you could tell he was kind of just patronizing her and wanting to get her off the phone. Hmm. And he hung up and had sort of this exasperated look on his face and like, oh, she's calling me for the, you know, 15th time today or whatever it was. And, and he may have had a reason to be irritated. I have no idea. But the fact of the matter was that in that moment, I thought, wow, if he's willing to kind of reveal this to me, just, you know, and we're good friends, just having dinner, I can only imagine what kind of things go on when it's just the two of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so many times if you see a little bit of conflict in public or disagreement or someone being irritated with the other person, I think that's usually only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that, that's not to, oh, go ahead, yeah I mean, that's not to say you should never have conflicts. We all have conflict in relationships. That's a natural part of human relationships. The character, but, think, but it, it comes out subtly, like you're saying, in that conversation. And that's, that's you're just saying, that's if it's the tip of the iceberg, that's just what you see. Deep, deep down, there's, there's probably other, you know, less subtle clues if you could get behind the curtain and see what's really going on. Oh, I think so, because... In my mind, a person who's willing to belittle their spouse in public, and by in public I mean just in front of anybody else, whether it's other family or uh, hopefully not in a, in a huge public setting or something, I think a person who's willing to disrespect or dishonor their most cherished relationship in life in front of others, that's, that's a major clue to that person's character. And in my mind, someone who's willing to do that to their spouse in public would do that to anybody. Hmm. So I don't have really much respect or trust in someone who would do that to their spouse uh, in public and humiliate them or embarrass them in that way. Well, and that spouse has to know, right, that they're being diminished. They're being – even if they don't know that he rolled his eyes and did all of these things on the phone, but she knows who her spouse is. So imagine how do you confront somebody that 
lacks character. I mean, how how do you stay married to somebody that lacks character? I noticed that in my own practice. Everybody wants to learn how to communicate and be a better communicator, except I spend three weeks out of a six-week course teaching people character before ever trying to teach him to communicate because communication without character is meaningless. Right. Well, and I believe it comes down to the question of how do you deal with the failures of your spouse, really? Um, If that's kind of the question behind the question, you know? Yeah. And I think everybody has to deal with that differently. I would certainly never presume to say this is how every person should deal with it because we all, you know, each marriage is unique and each relationship is unique and each marriage has, pain points, things that have happened in the past. Each marriage has different ways of communicating and relating and so forth. But I believe in general, you just have to decide what you're willing to put up with as a person. And so, But sometimes what we do, instead of putting up with too much, sometimes we put up with too little, I yeah. believe, you know, where we live with someone for so long that even the smallest infraction or the smallest, you know, thing really grates on our nerves and we just explode about that little, that little thing. I think the longer that you're married to someone or in a relationship with someone, you have to kind of decide what are the the little things I'm willing to put up with that may not even be character traits. They're just idiosyncrasies or little crazy habits or whatever. Yeah. But then separating those from really character issues. And if someone is in a relationship where they have major character issues going on, you have to make a hard decision sometimes about – what are you going to do? What do you? How are you going to respond to that? And oftentimes, there's children involved. You bet. And that's my heart. Really goes out to anyone in that situation. And and of all of the times to make sure you make the decision with character, it's that one, right? So I mean, there are reasons to divorce people. There are reasons to end a relationship that's not healthy. And sometimes that takes immense character when everyone else around you is saying, oh, no way. Give him one more try. Give him one more shot. I mean, character is sometimes making the hard decision. Think of a like a football coach that has to make the call and then everybody second guesses the call. But none of them had the character to be in the moment to have to make the call in the first place. So we all right, have to make right. the call sometimes. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. we had a, My wife and I have a friend from college. We've known her for probably 25 years and her and her husband have a number of kids, and um, two or three months ago, we found out via Facebook that they were getting a divorce, and we come from a faith community. Um, we went to a Christian college, and I used to actually be a pastor and work at a Christian college now. Hmm. And so a lot of the people who are sort of in our circle are church people, and it was really surprising to see the reactions of so many people that that knew this couple, and they were sort of not being negative about it, but kind of this surprise of, wow, I can't believe you're getting divorced. I thought you guys were so great, and I thought he was a great person and everything. And I remember my wife and I having this conversation about, you never really know what goes on in someone's marriage behind closed doors, and how so often we're quick to to make a judgment about someone, not really knowing what happens right. in their lives and what's gone on. And uh, And my feeling was, you just have to trust that person that they're making the right decision, because ultimately you don't really know what's gone on. Right. And um, and I just had to trust that, hey, this friend, this mutual friend of ours prayed about it. You know, they sought wisdom. They were trying to do the right thing for them and but also for their kids. And, you you know, you can't really judge someone based on a few things you see on social media. Mm-hmm. You, you don't really know the whole story there. So hopefully, you know, we all are like that where we're making good decisions about something. Um, 
when sometimes other people may not understand yeah. our decisions or be able to on any level. Well, and again, it goes back to it's our character too, right? So when we read the Facebook post, I've got to now exercise character and not react, yeah, not spread true. rumors, not gossip, not judge, assume the best. And um, if I need to, go find out more, see if I can help. I mean, it's it's that that's what's interesting about this whole topic of character is the contagious effect of it. Um, where the more the more character I show, the more I facilitate your ability to show character as well. Um, interesting. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Kent Sanders from the website kentsanders.net. He wrote a wonderful article uh, titled Four Subtle Clues That Reveal a Man's Character. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back and uh, reveal three more clues for you. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Today we're talking about character. Do you have the character? We're defining character as who you are when no one else is looking. And on the phone with us is Kent Sanders calling us from Missouri. He has a website, kentsanders.net. He's a writer and uh, a musician. And he talks about um, a wonderful, a, a wonderful, uh, tool set, I think, that helps reveal a man's character. Four clues to look for that shows you if if you possess character or not. And uh, he wrote this article originally for a men's magazine, um, but uh, it applies to both men and women. The first clue was how a man speaks to his wife is a pretty good indicator. It's a pretty good clue of, of his level of character. Uh, Kent, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. You bet. Love the topic, and uh, it's just great having somebody that's thought so much about it. The second clue you bring up is how a man speaks to his children. That's a yeah. sign of uh, of uh, character or not. Talk about that for us. What do you mean by that? Well, the reason I define that as a way that we reveal our character is because if there's any group of people in our lives where you know we're in a power relationship over them, and they basically need to do what we say or you know that's kind of how we can look at parenting in a yeah. simplistic way it's our kids i mean we can lose our temper with our kids we can talk down to them we can insult them we can get angry with them and they pretty much have to do what we say at least when they're younger i mean they don't have to but you know but they're again, dependent we're power, they're dependent on us and so you know there's sometimes the threat of, of punishment or taking a toy away or whatever else or even abuse you know in some cases mm-hmm. uh, you know to kind of go to the extreme so you know a, a major way that we reveal our character is how we speak to people who we're in a power relationship over and i think our kids definitely fall into that category and obviously we don't want to abuse that privilege of course but i think if there's any group of people in our lives where it's easy to lose our temper and it's easy to uh, to really break our character with them and to not have positive character and not be a good example. It's probably with our kids. Yeah, and because, too, that's where we're most afraid, right? I mean, those are the most important people in our lives and, and because we, and we don't want them to fail. We don't want them to 
fall into problems. And so that's also probably where we're most vulnerable. Oh, it is. And, and so much of that reflects back on us, at least. It's easy to look at that, to look at it that way where our kids, you know, their success or their failures or who they are is some kind of a reflection on us as parents. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we really snap at them. We lose our temper. We're impatient with them. We talk down to them because we, we want them so badly to, to be better, to not make mistakes. And in some cases, when our psychology gets a little bit messed up, we want our kids to somehow atone for our sins in life, you know, and to not make the mistakes that we made. And there's probably some psychology going on there that I don't fully understand, yeah. you know, but, but I know, I know that's, that's a dynamic definitely in our relationships with our kids at times. Well, and I guess that same thing would apply with anybody that really can't, doesn't have the power to hurt you. That could be a boss subordinate relationship. Um, it's, I guess it's how you treat the weaker among us that is is a really good indicator of your of your heart. Oh, it is. And it really just comes down to, uh, I think character is mostly an issue of how do you use the power that you have, whether it's with an employee or a subordinate of some kind, whether it's with your kids or with, uh, you know, again, in the article, I talk about a couple of other groups of people as well, people who, who we have power over in some specific type of way. And, um, you know, when you have power, but you choose to use it for good, that's good character. Yeah. When you have power and you use it to harm others or to take advantage of others or to advance your own cause at their expense, that's bad character. Well, another example of it, and anybody that traveled over the weekend probably saw it, is is how – this was your third clue, how a, how a man speaks to people who are serving them. Like yes. at the airports, in your cab driver, all of these people that are – just you know, in the service industry, maybe, or the people you know that are that are taking care of you, that's a big indicator of our character as well, right? Oh, it is. In fact, this happened to us just three or four days ago. We were at a local restaurant, and it was actually um, it was New Year's Day. No, I'm sorry, it was New Year's Eve. That's what it was. We went out to a local restaurant, and um, we had this young girl who was our server, and uh, legitimately, she did a terrible job. And I, I don't want to mention the name of the restaurant because it's really not a reflection on that restaurant as a whole because we always have a good experience there. But this particular server was uh, was not good. She was not attentive. She just did kind of a bad job overall. And it would have been easy if we wanted to, you know, to speak to her manager and kind of make a scene about it and make a fuss and make her feel badly about it. But I didn't want to do that, even though some people would choose to go that route because, you know, the manager would listen. Maybe they would have gotten a free meal or something. But I didn't want to do that because I, I don't think that was the right way to handle it. And let's face it, we've all had a bad day at work where we haven't measured up, we haven't done well, we've, we've messed up something for someone. And I hope that I would have the patience with someone that other people have shown me and that I want to have in my own life. And that, you know, that doesn't mean we tolerate mistakes all the time and that we let things slide and that we let a lack of excellence become sort of a habitual thing in our own lives and in the lives of other people that we lead. But I think there are times when, when you go, okay, this person messed up. I'm not going to bring the hammer down on them as hard as I could just because I can. You know, what's, what's the kind thing to do? What's the character thing to do in this situation? Yeah, we saw that. Um, we were at a restaurant and my wife was uh, – actually, we were picking up the order and somebody we knew from – one of the athletic teams that our children had played on, had, their their order was wrong, and he the person was yelling at the 
the person on the at the counter. Um, oh, no. And and then he basically just said, "I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to stand here till I get my order." But the interesting thing is, he ended up standing there anyway, right? While she took care of everyone else, it seems like all he would have had to have done is just go stand there. I mean, right, he right. he could have done it anyway without the yelling and the scene. And what I guess he didn't realize is um, he got his order, but he got it at a pretty expensive cost of other people now not trusting him. Right, right. Even his kids. Yeah, and so many times we do that in public places because we think that no one's looking. And, right. you know, even though our kids are there, sometimes we don't we don't see that as, wow, I'm actually damaging my kids and giving them a bad example to follow. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> You know, there are times whenever we do something in public where we think no one is there, but then we find out, hey, this friend was there or this person from, you know, our church or our work was there. And then we're really embarrassed because we didn't think they saw what we did, but they actually did. (laughs) And that's not cool. Right. That doesn't really help us. So you never know when someone's looking or when someone's going to see what you do, particularly with social media these days. Oh, yeah. In fact, this gets into your last clue, clue number four. Uh, another way to reveal a man's character is to see how he speaks to his enemies. Absolutely. Talk about that. What do you mean? Well, what we tend to do, and what I mean by enemies, by the way, is anyone who we have some sort of a conflict with. It doesn't necessarily mean you know, us against some other country you know, in the world, but someone who we're in conflict with. And the way that we speak to those people reveals a lot about us, because if we have conflict with someone, we're naturally irritated, we're, we're going to more tend to lash out at that person, whether it's verbally or in some passive-aggressive way. So the way that we hold our tongues, the way that we control our actions with that person who we're upset with or who we're having conflict with shows how we have self-restraint and self-discipline or whether we don't, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. And again, who you are, there's a great quote that says, who you are, speak so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because it gets in the way, right? Our our character could facilitate a better communication, a better outcome. It doesn't mean it's going to be a different outcome. You still, you know, um, for example, we, we talked earlier about divorce. We still may divorce. Uh, having character doesn't always ensure that it will save a marriage, for example, or a business deal. But right. the, but it does ensure that you you handle the finishing or the end or the collapse in a different way so that you can at least walk away with integrity. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we all fail with this sometimes, not necessarily in in the big things, hopefully, but we all fail character-wise at times where we say something we shouldn't have or we're upset with someone and and we did something that maybe we wouldn't normally do when we're not upset. And in those moments, we have to, to go make it right. I know I've done that before, certainly where I've, fired off an angry email to someone or done something I shouldn't have. And then in that moment, you have to decide, am I going to be a person of character and go make it right and apologize? Or am I going to just be full of pride and not deal with that and just say, well, they deserved it or they'll just have to deal with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a tough choice that we have to make. Are we going to apologize and make it right whenever we do bomb? So true. And are we going to address the conflict or are we just going to walk away? I mean, these are all choices, I guess, of our character. Um, as we wrap up, Kent, uh, what would you say if, if the, I always ask for the one thing? Um, what would you say is the one thing that we could all focus on consistently 
that would have the greatest impact on our ability to grow our character? Well, I think there's a question that we can ask ourselves on a daily basis that really helps not just with character development, but with any decision. And that question is, how would I feel about this decision or this action or this word when I wake up tomorrow morning? Will I be glad that I did it or will I regret having done it? Whether it's an email, whether it's some type of of act act or action, no matter what it is, am I going to be happy that I did this tomorrow morning when I wake up? And if I will be happy, then, hey, let's go ahead and do it. If I'm going to regret this, even though I may feel like doing it now, then maybe I shouldn't do it. I should exercise a little bit more self-control so that I can wake up tomorrow morning being happy with the actions that I took that I took in the last 24 hours. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. I mean, again, and look to the bigger look to the bigger picture of this all. Well, we appreciate you, Kent Kent Sanders again um, from the website kentsanders.net. Great resources and tools there. A lot of wonderful free stuff as well that you can go uh, go follow and use to uh, improve your life. Interesting stuff, folks. Think about those questions. Your character. How are you doing? As you're thinking about New Year's, New Year's resolutions, maybe it might you know help you a little bit more to work on your character, maybe more than even your waistline. Uh, having some character might improve a lot of your other goals. Character, pretty basic, uh, basic objective. I think all of us should be trying to improve in our lives. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, character. I tell you, it really is a huge part of what I do in my own work. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to teach. But on the show, we've talked so much about the natural man and kind of that fight or flight brain that we all kick into. And it's natural to want to protect yourself, right? It's natural to want to defend your position. It's natural to not want people to you know, be misleading other people about you. All of that's natural. The problem is, how do you combat it, right? How do you combat somebody at your work that you see as an enemy? How do you combat a spouse that doesn't seem to get you and keeps hurting you over and over, just emotionally hurting you? How do you you combat that? Well, usually what happens is our fight or flight brain kicks in. Hi-ya! And then off we go, right? We just start going off on somebody. And if you ask your friends, they'd all be like, oh, I would have done the same thing. I would have been so mad. I would have gone off on them too. The problem is the minute you go off on someone because it's logical, if it's immoral, meaning if it's against your own value system, you can go off all you want. It's still not going to bring you peace. So character is the ability then to create peace amidst all of the problems of life. It doesn't mean you're going to have no pain. Pain is inherent in life, right? Pain's just going to be a part of our existence. However, the more you fight against the the people, the more you react to the people, the more you're going to create more problems. So character is what gives you the moral authority. That's what led a Gandhi to be so powerful. That's what led Christ to be so powerful. That's what led a Mother Teresa 
to be so powerful and viewed by others in such high regard. It's this character ethic that has at some point got to permeate in our politics, in our world, in our families. And let's just begin with ourselves, okay? Let's not worry about everyone else. Let's worry about your character. So I would just suggest as you're making or thinking about New Year's resolutions, I'd, I'd probably look at character. It seems like an easy – it's an easier one to at least start to address, right? Hard to do but easy to start to look at. That's it, folks. Hour number two. We'll be back next hour. More ideas. In fact, we're going to be taking on New Year's resolutions. We've got a guest that says, not a good idea. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Remember, we do what we can on this show to give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, and have a happy new year. It's a whole new year, 2016. I haven't had to write a check yet, so I'm worried about putting the old 2015 on it. Uh, It'll happen. Maybe I ought not write a check. Hey, top of the morning to you. Actually, it's probably the bottom for most of you. Bottom of the morning. Morning. Just morning. I like to top and the bottom. Top and bottom. They wanted to be a baseball announcer. Hmm. Top and the bottom of innings. Instead, I got this show. <sighs> We're back. A whole new week, a whole new year. Holy cow. So much to talk about. Um, we we got we to just talk about the holidays you all survived we talked about it on the earlier hours did it feel long to you no i have a problem being off for that long really you just to me like after a while my wife and i hit about uh friday last week we're like we're done sick of each other and we were working like yeah you were four days three days during the week but still having that many days off just oh well, yeah. We're like, what do we do now? The New Year's Day came, and we had nothing planned for New Year's Day. Well, let me. What you do is you watch a movie. We did, but we did that quite a bit. And after a while, we you just kind of feel like a waste because you're just sitting around. You have time, so my wife starts cleaning the house, and I start. But do you not have like a memory of? Do you not like the whole last year? Yeah. Of all the work you did, we like to keep busy. What are you avoiding? What do you mean? <laughs> Just kidding. We're together. It's, it's not. Very... I mean, we're not avoiding each other. It's just that we're just we don't like just sitting around and yeah, kind of wasting a day that we could get something accomplished. You sound like my wife. It's just... tough. After I mean, you want you it's think like, are about you just going to sit around all day. You think about having time off, and once you have it, what are you going to do with it? And it's sit like around. sit around and watch TV. I'm like, eh. and I or... did. We we binge watched an entire series on Netflix. Yeah. So just, it's not like we didn't watch anything. Just one. Yeah, just one. Yeah, I could do it for another month. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I mean, eventually, yeah, you got to get something done. You have two four-day weekends in a row. I know. That was rough. It was awesome. It was so great. We were going to go on a trip, but we didn't end up going because Your my TV son or? got a call, his mission call. Oh, right. You so that. that changed everything. So mission call, for those that don't know, is – 
these young Mormon kids, 18 to 20-year-olds, you see them all out there wearing their white shirts or the sisters all dressed up nice. Everyone's nice. And they just volunteer to go anywhere in the world. And they put their papers in. And then uh, the leaders in the LDS church, they assign you to a mission. And you go serve there for two years or 18 months. And you don't get a pick. You just go. So he's going to Independence, Missouri. Hmm. Middle of misery. Missouri. 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 Yeah. It's, hey, we're way excited. That's a great place. Been there. Great. And my other son went to Mexico. So, you know, you can go anywhere. Ben here went to Germany for a couple of weeks and then came right back. And then you went to Dallas. I went to Argentina. It's just luck of the draw, kind of God's hand in it. And he just sends you. So anyway, that changed everything. This whole last week, we then had a lot of people to talk to and tell. And anyway, cool. It was good. So I'm proud of my son. Um, did you hear about this this uh, this crazy family raccoon thing? Texas. I read about it. See, you, you went on your mission to Texas. I did. A Texas mother woke up in the middle of the night, about 4 a.m. Her dogs were barking. And they had Your uh, feet hurt. Is that what? I, yeah, I've heard people refer to their dogs barking, and it's yeah, that's a different. foot pain. That's okay. different. I think that's, my dogs are barking. This was different. Her her real dogs, not her feet, were barking, and she went into the bathroom, and they, you know, how you tree a cougar or a whatever a lion, mountain lion. Done it many a times. Yes, <laughs> they had sinked a raccoon. These dogs had oh, right. chased the raccoon up onto the sink, and it was in the sink. The pictures of this, yeah, are crazy. Like, what do you? My wife was like, "You've got to." There's this massive cat-like, but not a cat. Yeah, and it's just perched on top of the sink <laughs> in this woman's bathroom, and she says, "My wife is just unnerved." I think you I shouldn't would just, have wildlife in your house. It's I'd just, probably put a note on the door, a little post-it note. <laughs> occupied, o- ocupado. Don't go in there. Stay away from the vermin. And he's a burglar who comes with the mask. Yeah, so you know he's up to no good in there. <laughs> it's sad. There's Poor a... little raccoon. Didn't even know what he got himself in for. Just ends up, man, I feel bad for him. I saw another story over seen... the weekend where an elk crashed through somebody's basement window. Oh, really? We, My family's had a moose oh. in their backyard, my in-laws. That was fun. Got to find a way to keep the wildlife out of your home. I know. It's like, that's why you need guns. <laughs> that raccoon was in Texas, man. He has no idea how lucky he was. They started open carry on the first, so. But you're in your own house. You can carry it anywhere you want. Right. So anywhere he goes, he's a target, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. No I've learned that. I've learned harmed. that if you say allegedly after comments, then you're safe because you didn't really make any definitive comment. You have no accountability for what you say. Not my fault. Yeah. It's alleged. Well I feel I I feel I feel bad for the little raccoon. He's okay. They were able to get him out of the house. No harm done. No harm done. Except the dogs kind of freaked out because there was, you know (laughs) he the the raccoon they tried to call people to come get him, but it's hard to get raccoons are us. (laughs) It's called animal animal control. Oh okay. So they just opened the door and he went out the back door. Right, the same way he came in. Smart, that's a smart raccoon. Massive dogs are barking at him, people wandering around. <laughs> You're lucky he didn't like go to the bedroom and take a nap, go to the kitchen, get make a sandwich. 
Anyway, um, so your Christmas could have been worse, right? You could have been chasing wildlife through your your house. Uh, also, did you hear about this uh, poor um, Star Wars guy? What is the deal? So I saw Star Wars. Okay. Along with a lot of other people. Yeah, apparently. For the multiple, like, well, fourth, fifth time. You you can't you got to watch out for spoiling it for others. Not anymore, because some people take it very seriously. When an 18 year old Arthur Charles Roy saw a spoiler for a subplot in Star Wars: The Force Awakens on Facebook, the Montana teen responded by sending his online pal a photo of him holding a gun, complete with a threat. That he would have, uh, he would come to the victim's home or school and shoot him, because you ruined it for me. I'm going to bring my gun, come to your school, and shoot you. Hmm. Which then ended up shutting down the boy's high school. Yeah, that's always the next step. Montana. Shut the school down. Roy was arrested and charged with felony assault with a weapon Monday. For the post on Facebook. Yeah. He did. Did he actually show up with the gun? If there's no. Apparently not. So he posted it on Facebook. Yeah. With a photograph. $10,000 bail. And that's assault? Yeah. Really? I guess it's a threat huh. to assault with a deadly weapon. They need to enforce that more, apparently, on social media. Yeah. There's a lot of threats on there. There's a lot of threats. Something's a little harsh. So be careful. Again, we're here to not just help the healthy people. We also want to help criminals be better criminals. Don't make threats. Period. On Facebook. And don't spoil... Star Wars. Star Wars. So is it don't make threats, just execute? No, 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 no. Don't use that word. Oh. Yeah, that'd be the wrong terminology there. See, again, don't make threats. Got to be careful. Don't show pictures of you with a gun. (laughs) I'm really grateful for this segment. I know. A lot of people don't take care of the criminals. We are here. That's why the criminals keep committing crimes. We want to stop that. Uh, Let's get to the headlines, find out if there's anything else going on around the world. Terry, what's up? There is, Matt. This is just breaking. One hour into first trading day of 2016, U.S. stocks continue to trade sharply lower with the Dow Jones Industrial Average at a negative 360 points after briefly falling 400 points. A plunge in Chinese stocks concerned over Saudi Arabia's deepening dispute with Iran and weak manufacturing data were seen as weighing on investors. Oh, boy. So stocks are down. Uh-oh, not yay, a great year. Yay, 2016. Not a great start. Uh, armed protesters who have occupied a building at an Oregon Federal Wildlife Reserve in Burns, Oregon, said Sunday night that they were carrying out a truly peaceful protest. Acting spokesman Ammon Bundy tweeted late Sunday that protesters had not destroyed any property or harmed any citizens. The group seized control of the wildlife refuge after a protest in support of two ranchers who were given longer prison sentences for burning federal land in 2001. Harney County is the county of Burn in Burn, Oregon. Harney County Sheriff's Office released a statement Sunday claiming the protesters were occupying the refuge under false pretenses. These men came to Harney County claiming to be part of a militia part of militia group supporting local ranchers when in reality these men had alternative motives to attempt to overthrow the country and federal government in hopes to spark a movement across the United States. Man, who do you believe? And as we pointed out earlier, you can look under hashtags on Twitter under Yihadists, <laughs> Vanilla ISIS, Talibundi, Yokel Haram, and Al or Yal Qaeda. And they say they're not terrorists. Kind of funny. 
They've got the same names. With the uh, mounting anger over police killings in mind, Illinois state leaders, uh, legislature, are considering whether voters should be able to recall the mayor of Chicago. Many have called for the resignation of current Mayor Rahm Emanuel, but Emanuel said he will not step down. A law stating whether voters may recall the Chicago mayor is clearly the right thing to have on the books, said State Representative LaShawn Ford, a Chicago Democrat. Boy. So the mayor could be recalled over all the situations going on there. It was interesting. They had a uh, another shooting in Chicago over the last couple of weeks. The mayor was in uh, Cuba, I believe it was, on holiday. And he sent a press release Hold out. On. Cuba? He went to Cuba. You can go to Cuba for holiday already? Yeah, there's all, all kinds of Are flights. the airlines working Yeah, now? they're all there. So he goes to Cuba, and he sent out a press release. And I looked at my wife, and I go, he really needs to come home. You can't have an innocent person killed in Chicago, of, yeah. of all places, with all the stuff that's been happening there, and just send out a press release from yeah. your holiday in Cuba. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to resign, folks. I'm down in Cuba. That really doesn't play right. well, so he had to bounce home. President Obama will take part in a televised town hall meeting Thursday to discuss violence in America. It'll be on CNN at 8 p.m., take place at George Mason University. The town hall will come just days after Obama met with Attorney General Loretta Lynch to discuss whether he can take an executive action that will address gun violence. Uh, of all likely crimes, a rock uh, to, a, to rock a small town in Illinois Art theft may not be immediately come one of the top crimes you think of, but that's the baffling and frustrating reality that Kanaki population, Kanaki, Illinois, population 27,000, has been dealing with since September 11th. The New York Times reports that a plaster sculpture of President Abraham Lincoln's hands has been missing from the county museum Uh-oh. since at least then, but it's a crime void of witnesses, suspects, and even a firm timeline. The Times reports that the museum initially hoped it would be a short-lived prank and someone would re- return them, the, the the plaster hands, but that hasn't happened so that the police department posted a Facebook plea for information and a description of the hand via the museum curator as approximately the size of an 8- to 10-pound ham. It's estimated <laughs> worth $5,000, though... Uh, through a local historian, a, a local historian tells the Times there's almost no way to put any value on it because there isn't a market for plaster hands. Ham hands. Hands of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. Someone stole them. Who would steal the president's hands? Don't know. He's got big hands. If they're about the size of a ham. <laughs> Eight to ten pound ham. It's <laughs> about four pounds a hand. It's <laughs> a lot of hand. And finally, uh, Star Wars made an additional $88 million over New wow. Year's weekend, topping the box office for a third week, according to studio estimates. In addition to setting a new high mark, the New, new Year's box office, the high mark for New Year's box office history, the record-busting film blew past domestic gross of both Jurassic World and Titanic to become the second highest earner of all time with $740 million in just 19 days. Holy cow. It took Avatar 72 days to reach $700 million. It took Star Wars 16. They're doing okay. They should be all right. Except for that guy that's spoiling it. That one guy. It's always one guy Man. that messes it all up. Wow, interesting. Congrats to and Star Wars. And another piece of news I just found out. What? Do you know what day Christmas is on next year? Uh, I would say the 25th. The day of the week. Okay. Poindexter. Uh, I would say, let's see, when was it this week? Friday? Yeah. I would say Sunday. It's on Sunday. Because of leap year. Is so, that why? So Christmas is a weekend. Christmas Eve is a Saturday. Christmas Day is Sunday. Oh, we're getting shafted. So they could just work you right till Friday. Oh, you already have the weekend. It's fine. And then bring you back Monday morning. Oh, big brother. 
Mm. Yeah, my kids are already complaining about that. We have to go to church on Sunday? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? That's what Christmas is about. Come on. Kids nowadays. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jessica Lamb Shapiro will be joining us. She's the author of the book Promised Land, and she is going to be talking to us about New Year's resolutions. Are they bad for you? She argues they might be. Stick with us, folks. Interesting topic uh, about New Year's resolutions. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's a new year. Most people are out there probably, right, celebrating. But as part of the New Year's celebration, many of us are making new goals and resolutions in hope that they can have a great uh, change this year. And um, you might want to look out a little bit. Have you ever considered that maybe making a New Year's resolution might actually be bad for you. Our next guest, Jessica Lamb Shapiro, is the author of Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. And on her website, you can you can go to her website, promiselandbook.com, and find out more information about uh, her work there. But she's here to talk to us about uh, maybe it's, it's a little unrealistic to think that you might be able to quickly change a goal that may have taken you years to create Jessica Lamb Shapiro, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, New Year to you. Great having you on the show. So what what do you think? Would you say New Year's resolutions are good for you or bad for you? Well, the statistics are pretty bleak. Um, I found out that uh, 8% of people uh, stick with their New Year's resolutions, which is a 92% attrition rate. That's <laughs> wow. not very good. No. And the people who do quit, quit after just one week. Wow. So, that's that's yeah, really that's not good. Really much worse than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, what is our deal? So, but we do it every year, too. I mean, And I we guess we all have hope. Yeah, which is, you know, of course, a lovely thing. But, you know, between December 31st and January 1st, like, what changes? Right. You know, you're putting a lot of stock <laughs> into a date on the calendar, and I think that that's probably why a lot of people fail, is that they don't necessarily put other systems in place, um, and they just think that somehow magically, you know, they're going to be able to do this week what they weren't able to do last week. And so just kind of the whole concept of it is pretty unrealistic. It's it's true, and we I think we all kind of know that in our gut, right? I mean, I right. guess 8% of us don't. But it seems like eight those those are probably the really motivated eight percent that had the best grades anyway, and you know are running marathons. Right, those people, <laughs> <laughs> those that type. But what about uh, the rest of us? What what have you what have you found? I mean, I know in your book um, about uh, kind of the uh, what's the, you have a really great name for it. Kind of the the um, the culture of self help. There's a lot of us that are really prone to kind of continually trying the next self-help movement? Well, it's a really founding idea of American culture um, that we're capable of improvement um, and we're capable of, you know, changing classes and, you know, being better than your father and mother were. And, you know, that's a really lovely idea. And I think that's true to some extent. 
Um, but I think we don't think a lot about how and how much work really goes into it. Um, you know, so I, I think that's probably where people go wrong with New Year's resolutions. And a lot of self-help is that they don't necessarily have a plan and they don't necessarily want to do the work. Um, and again, as you said in the introduction, these are habits that are years in the making um, and are very difficult to stop. You know, quitting smoking, losing weight, like those are not easy things. Um, otherwise, we'd just be doing them automatically. Yeah, yeah, we, they'd probably be done already. Is is there exactly. also any research um, about tying it to a specific date? I mean, the mere just the mere fact that there's a New Year's resolution and we're starting on this date, it seems like that might create some more stress for us. Well, the biggest downside of the New Year's resolution and tying it to the date of the New Year is that if you do fail, you have to wait an entire year before trying again. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it's going to take you a really long time if you only make one attempt every year. So I think, you know, if you do want to make a resolution, you really should start now. You know, you could start any day and just understand that, like, if you don't stick with something, you can try again the next week or the next day. And it's not necessarily a good idea to tie um, your entire progress as a human being to one date on the calendar that only comes up once every year. Oh, so true. Come on. Why have we not thought of that? I mean, because, too— I don't know. It's very common sense. You know? it, 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 it seems like it, except we—and we put so much in it. And maybe it's just we need to believe we can do it. And yet, like you're saying, we put all the energy into the date and the time and the resolution, and we maybe put more energy in there than actually figuring out why we do it anyway. Why do we keep doing that ineffective thing anyway? No, I think that's a really good point. You know, sometimes unless you look at the root of certain habits, you're not really going to be able to change them. Um, you know, it's it's like just dealing with the symptom of a problem instead of the cause of the problem. Man. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break, come back, and I'd love you to teach us what we could do to make uh, to make a better approach. You started telling us a little bit, maybe, you know, start, go as far as you can, but you can always restart again, and we could keep at the goal and kind of uh, and, and kind of chip away at it. We're going to find out more from Jessica Lamb Shapiro about New Year's resolutions and um, also more about her book, Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. Stick with us, folks. Uh, there is promise, but uh, the promise might be that you got to change and learn why you're struggling changing. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Jessica Lamb Shapiro, who's the author of the book Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. And she reminds us that uh, unrealistic resolutions are fated to fail. She wrote a wonderful article um, entitled uh, New Year's Resolutions Are Bad for You. And, and in there, she just cites the fact that uh, having a date, having a time, and making a promise that you're going to do something might not be um, the real key to to creating a lasting change. Jessica Lamb Shapiro, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great having you here. One of the things you say in the article um, is you you quote Steve Salerno, who's the author of Sham, 
how the self-help movement made America helpless. And one of the things that you bring, bring up is just simply the act of making a resolution may, um, may I guess, overwhelm the, the reality of having to do it. I made the resolution, and a lot of us might feel like that's kind of enough. Well, one of the things that I found when researching my book, um, when people buy a self-help book, which is, you know, a similar thing to making a resolution is something where you are making a commitment to change, they start to feel better. I mean, generally when people in the first place decide that they need help or they want to change something, it's because they're not feeling great about where they are or something about their life. And that creates a bad feeling. And then when you got just the act of purchasing a book actually makes you feel better. So a lot of people never do anything beyond purchasing the book. And they purchase the book. They're like, you know, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and they just sit on their shelf. And, you know, that's kind of the extent of it. Um, I also found a statistic that said that most people never get past page 20 of a self-help book. And they attributed that to the same phenomenon. As you read about 20 pages and you start to feel better, and you start to think, oh, I can really do this. But then you don't actually follow through, and you don't do the work that you need to do um, to actually achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve, because really what you wanted was to feel better, right. not to achieve the goal. It's so true. And I I mean, as an author, don't get me wrong, keep buying the books. But, yes, in, right. the, <laughs> but in the end, there's more than buying a book. And there is, I mean, I've done it all the time where I'll I'll hear a book of a book. I'll go chase it down. I'll get it in. In fact, I have a book floating around in Amazon somewhere that never made it to my house. And I'm like, oh, I'm too tired to go find it. But um, it was a really important buy when I bought it. it. That's, I guess, one of the problems with this, too, is if we have an addiction, if we have a chronic problem, we could easily just maybe transfer our addiction or our chronic behavior of you know, a chronic unhealthy behavior to just the constant pursuit of fixing it. So then, then we oh, get the absolutely. high from fixing I mean, it or pretending to. Exactly. I mean, people who have addictions have addictive personalities. And, you know, I'm sure it's better to be addicted to self-help than it is, you know, to be addicted to cigarettes or to be an alcoholic. Um, but it's interesting that the behavior doesn't really change. It's just the substance that changes. Oh, wow. You're on to something here. But Jessica, you're you're totally you're now you're I don't know, you're gonna make a lot of people mad because they're not going to feel like they have a promise anymore. Because they're supposed to be oh, getting better. We're constantly be supposed to get better. Well, I mean you can get better and that's the thing. I you know, I think that people just need to take a little bit more responsibility um for their actions and not look externally all the time. I mean, it's wonderful to buy self-help books. Um, but, you know, I found, I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And I found most of what I read to be pretty common sense and pretty logical. Um, this wasn't really mind-blowing, earth-shattering, secret knowledge, um, you know, that, that nobody has access to. It's actually quite common sense. And so I think one of the wonderful things about self-help books is that they can remind us of things that are common sense that um, we might forget in our day-to-day lives. But, you know, to some extent, we also already know what we need to do. Um, and, and so it's not really always necessary to look to an external source. And I think the danger of looking to an external source for help is that you then transfer all of the power and all of the work onto that external source, you know, almost like it's magic and it's going to magically transform things for you when, in fact, like you do actually need to do some work yourself. Well, you also transfer all of the blame. 
if it doesn't work like like you know i you know i tried jenny craig and it just didn't work but well, and, you know, an interesting you know I mean? thing about some self-help books is that they transfer the blame to you. Oh, interesting. I read a lot of self-help programs which said, you know, if this doesn't work for you, it's because you don't <laughs> believe enough or you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, and I actually found that to be kind of disturbing, um, you know, because people who turn to self-help books, they want to change. And, you know, they're probably in a relatively difficult place. So I just found it kind of ethically suspect to then go ahead and blame them for not being able to change that that is interesting too yeah but we'll promise you it will work but you know if it doesn't work it's your fault it's your fault um right exactly and it's i guess that's the thing is uh that that could then become the emotional trauma that we keep reinflicting that keeps us stuck in these bad patterns what are some other things we could do to make sure if we're going to set a new year's resolution what what would enhance it? What what you you said for example? Most of us already know what we need to be doing. Um, how could we go in and, and identify in our heart what we need to be doing? Well, you know, one of the things that I thought about a lot while I was writing the book um, is that self help is very focused on success. Um, and I started thinking, well, what about failure? You know, what is good about failure? And what can we learn from failure? And I actually feel that considering failure, um, you know, to be more specific, considering obstacles, if you want to go on a diet, to actually consider, like, well, what are, what are some challenges that are going to come up? Instead of just thinking about the successes and the things that you should do, you know, to actually try to anticipate what might go wrong will actually help you when those things do go wrong because we're not perfect people. You know, we do mess up all the time. Um, and to be able to integrate that into the process of change, I think actually will give you the best chance of success. Um, and so I think, you know, in a funny way, failure and success are actually really related um, in a way that a lot of people don't necessarily want to acknowledge. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why maybe not just tying it to a date or a, or a resolution, tie it to a process. This year, I'm going to I'm going to figure out the code success and failure that will lead me to help deal with this issue. Yeah, I mean, there's this famous Samuel Beckett quote that I love, and it's, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's something like "fail again, fail better." Mm. Um, and I've always found that so inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this idea of failing better is such a wonderful goal because you do see the progress and you do see the incremental success, but it's much more about the process than the final result. Yeah. That's a great mentality, isn't it? And yet it's so, you know, we, yeah, we kind of believe in the silver bullet where you buy the book, you know, you read it and you're all of a sudden you're changed. Yeah. But that's not how life is. Life keeps going, you right. know. Um, you know, even if you make a lot of money and you lose a lot of weight or achieve whatever goal you want, there's still the week after that and the week after that and other things come up in life. And there's always going to be, you know, challenges. I think sort of movies and self-help books act like once you achieve a goal, you sort of lock everything in, yeah. you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm locked in at this weight, I'm locked in at this life. And, you know, we all know that's just not how life works. And so we do kind of constantly need to be reevaluating, um, you know, and keeping to work at things in order for them to succeed over time as opposed to, you know, in one moment. Mm, I love that. I, I also focus a lot on, maybe more of kind of the intangible principle like like that, like learning. It might be better mm-hmm. to set a New Year's resolution of learning than it than it is to, you know, say I'm going to read a book a week. 
Um, yeah. Just because the learning you you can take with you forever and you're less critical about your learning than you are about if you read a book every week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a guy that I read about who was a Puritan um, who at the beginning of each year would make 70 resolutions and he would review them every single week. Um, and I, you know, found it funny because 70 resolutions 70 resolutions is just an absolute insane number of resolutions. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. reviewing every week. But, but it's just, I thought, you know what? He's going to get at least 10 of them done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got to. It's like pass the wide net, keep reviewing them every week. <laughs> and, you know, don't, don't be so focused on one thing, you know, and the ultimate success or failure of that one thing. That's so true. Well, Jessica, we appreciate you and your great book. Again, um, they can find the book on your website. Uh, it was it's it's called PromisedLandBook.com. Is that the website? That is the website. Yes. Jessica Lamb Shapiro, the name of the book, Promised Land: My Journey Through America's Self Help Culture. Thank you so much, Jessica, and uh, Happy so New Year. You bet. Uh, Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Interesting stuff. Great opportunity for all of us. But be real, right? Let's be real about what's going on. You, It's already in you. You know what you need to do. Now break it down a little bit more into some more accountability on your part. Um, you don't need to beat yourself up to get ahead. Interesting stuff. Interesting book. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on in their neck of the woods. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Matt Townsend Show. Come on, baby. This is my favorite song to send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. This is you can just see them down there jamming. And uh, let's shoot it down to Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, sir. You know what? Every time I hear this song, yeah, I don't think about the actual song. I think about Goose. Yeah. Singing with Meg Ryan in oh, Top Gun. Wasn't that a great scene? They're remaking that movie. They, they are? What? Yeah. Who? They're remaking Top Gun? Yeah. You, you can't remake yeah. something as perfect as that. I don't think it can happen. It's or, is kind of, it, or is it a sequel? No, it's Top Gun 2. Oh, I was oh. going to say. You can't, make, you can't remake Top Gun? You know what that reminds me of? It's like, it's like a TV personality bringing a mustache in to the studio when he can barely grow one. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. That's, wow. It's That's like that. a direct shot at uh, one Jerem <laughs> Your mother called and said it looks amazing, so take that. <laughs> Holy cow, that that was a low blow. <laughs> You're bringing my mother into this? Leave the mothers, <laughs> leave the mothers out of this. Holy cow, I hear you got a stash on board. Yeah. Does it look stashy or does it more look... Ask Spencer. It looks pretty stashy. Really? Yeah. Does he look... Uh, does he look, like, creepy? Uh, no, I, I just... It's you know it's a good job good effort mustache. Oh, good huh? effort. We yeah. went to that. Good effort. A no, is for I, effort. I do have a lot of bags under my eyes. Right now. Did I get some sleep? Jerem's trying really hard to have a mustache. Is that he? Was, that was what Bronco. We're gonna try really hard. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
And I, I want to see about this. Bronco when I said that. That's what, yes. that's what losers say generally. We tried hard. No, I want to win. I hey, want to don't have don't talk a about Bronco. He's the coach of Virginia. How dare you bring up his oh, name? Oh, man. I'm I've sorry. got questions for you guys. Holy cow. Hey, um, I, I, this is why everybody needs to watch BYU Sports Nation because then they can see the stash date, the stash update. I like what you did there. Stash date. Yeah. Stash date. I like it. The thing I, is, will it get better well, than it you is came right up now? With it. It's got to get better than it is right now. No, probably not. <laughs> I, I'll probably shave it off tomorrow. Just I had a don't don't I don't think Human Resources is listening. Just no, they don't. They don't listen to the show. No. Um, hey, but, this is totally yeah, I had, legal. I had a beard. <gasps> and then you I did? shaved it, so I have a mustache now. Did you? I hear. I hear you had like a soul patch too. Oh my goodness! No, you this left. is a well-groomed mustache. Is it? Uh, this complies with the code of honor at, here at Brigham Young. Uh huh. Is so, it is it more like is it more like Tom Selleck, or like no, there's no Pee Wee Herman? It's more like your nephew when he was fourteen or something. Okay, okay. Do you, is it true? Just tell me this: Is it true that makeup put mascara on it to make it look thicker? No. Okay. Because that's yeah, what no, we're they, hearing. I, they did I do not, not do that. I will vouch for Jeremy. I do not use court. any performance yeah. enhancers on this program. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> Seriously, because uh, just to be clear and admit things, I I use I make up my face every time before my show. You're on the radio, man. I know that is the weirdest part. But you of do it. have to put on makeup when you go on TV. Yeah, I do. I do. No, and that I, no that now that makes sense. Well, but let me ask you this: it's Should like I wearing a suit if you're on the radio? But do you uh, do you guys wear body makeup? Because I do. When I go on TV, I always wear body makeup, even though I'm fully clothed. Explain what, yourself. What, what in the world are we talking about? Explain yourself. It's too much for the kids to hear. Because <laughs> it's not true. I like to shade my abs to make them look oh, thicker. Oh, we have had this discussion before. We've talked about the ab makeup before. You do it. You Who? cover up the plantar fasciitis. <laughs> I totally do. Okay, I've got questions. Are you ready? Yes. Question number away. one. Uh, is Taysom, do it! Is Taysom Hill going to Virginia? We don't know. No idea. Oh, and all the, it, uh, listen, he has to get in to these potential places before that's even a shot. That's true. He's Virginia, also Stanford. He's also got to be Michigan, ready to play, I guess, right? Oxford. Oh, yeah, they, and, and that too. He's got to want to play. Like he's he's probably not going to be one hundred percent until like June. Hmm. He's he's enrolled at BYU today for the first day of classes, reportedly. However, his stats for some reason on ESPN showed up on Virginia's webpage, which is dun, dun, so dun. weird. That is I, weird. Really, I think it was just a mistake made by somebody on the ESPN website when they saw rumors or something. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, who knows? Kay. I don't know. He, th- this decision does not have to be made for m- several months. No. He could make this decision in July. Man. I bet he'll make it before then, but he could wait until July. But I mean, it's he's he's eligible. He has another year. It's as long as he graduates. Yeah, he can tra- he can grad transfer to another school, assuming that he get it, gets into that school's grad school. That's cool. I just said grad school like four times. Nah, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people cannot get grad school into a sentence. I dare you to use that those many times. Four times in a sentence. Okay, update me on Ty Detmer. Is this a good thing? I mean, to me, it sounds incredible. Well, I don't see why. The, the good is Ty is back at BYU. Everyone yes. loves Ty Denver. Yes. He's the king of Provo. They should put a T on Y Mountain just to complete it. Everyone <laughs> loves him. Okay? This is Jimmer Fredette coming back oh. to coach BYU. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. offensive Perfect capacity. Analogy. Perfect. Can he do the, the job? The, well, we'll find out. The, now, th- there's questions about experience. No one can question the experience of him knowing oh. football, right? Yeah. But he just hasn't called plays at the college level ever. That's the question. But right. he's been a quarterback in the NFL uh, uh, for yeah. 14 seasons. Yeah. So you would think he has a grasp 
of how play calling should work or how he wants it to work. Yeah, right. there'll be a learning curve with him, certainly. There'll be a situation where you're like, oh, it's his first year calling plays. That's like that, the like thing, that'll happen. And that's the thing I'm like And pleading. Kalani Sataki's a first-year head coach, too. Mm. So it, it is a little nerve-wracking that you have a brand-new head coach with brand-new coordinators who have never been coordinators. But you like who you have in those it's positions. It's exciting. Thus, yeah. I'm pleading with BYU fans. Give them time. Yeah. Give them time to learn. And th- that time is the month of September. <laughs> that time is the 2016 season. It's not the off-season. Right. How can Ty Detmer possibly figure out game speed? He, he's going to get in that game against Arizona on September 3rd and be like, okay, now I feel the speed of the game. I feel the rhythm. I know when to call this. Uh, and we don't, need, we don't know what BYU's offense is going to look like, what the personnel is going to do within that offense. It's exciting because it's unknown. Mm. It could be a huddle. A huddle? <laughs> under- what is this, 2008? <laughs> Under center snaps, <laughs> not not always in the shotgun. Blasphemy. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, any other questions? Uh, I, well, I had a few more, but we don't have time. What's what's on your show? Tell me what you're going to cover. I'm sure BYU you'll cover everything. BYU to the Big 12 oh, that's rumors huge too. have right. started again. Yeah, because January 15th, there's a decision date or something, yep. right? There's a convention. There'll be a vote. We'll break down all the details, oh. what it means. The Big 12 has a proposal. What's the proposal? What's ah. being said about that? How that would potentially influence expansion, and where does BYU fit in that? Huge, huge. Okay, I like it. Anything Trevor else on Maddich the show? Of ESPN will yes. yeah, on that yeah. on bowl season, on BYU last season, next season. He'll give and, us his opinion on the Big Twelve matter. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Anson mm. Winder will be in studio for him. BYU Hoopster, our uh, basketball analyst, one of them weighing on BYU's and weekend. And don't look now, Matt. Okay. BYU basketball making a move in the latest. Bracketology Are released they? by ESPN's Joe Lenardi. Holy cow. Uh, is it a good move? BYU climbed despite losing. We'll tell you how much. I know that lost. seems weird. Okay. Wow. See, that's a good show right there. That's why well, you we guys. are back, man. You're back. back. And? Two weeks ago, we did a show together, and then I was like, peace. And Spencer stayed around for a couple days. <laughs> but here we are. We're back. We're very excited. And you're stashing it, so that's good. Yeah. Our crew is all juiced. Do this game. We got a jib in studio for the first time today. Really? First time since True Blue, so it's been two and a half years. You're, jib, you're jib jibbing, and you've got a stash. Yeah. And you're juiced. Getting jibby with it. <laughs> <laughs> we getting jibby with it. Oh, I believe it. That's great. Well, at least you got the stash. That'll be appropriate. Okay, I'm guys, don't, don't shave it until Donna comes in. Just if Donna comes and mentions it. Don't shave it until BYU basketball loses. <gasps> Ooh. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's, I think come up for that. Because okay. then if they go for a streak, okay. you could really have a nice yes. shaggy stash. Yes. Don't <laughs> shave that thing until BYU basketball loses. <laughs> that laugh was fantastic. Then in when the you're done, you'll in look like you're 12. They lost on New Year's Eve to St. Mary's. But in the well, New I've year, technically been growing this but for still, We're just calling it, we're calling it the New Year's stash, the New Year's <laughs> yeah, winning yeah. streak stash. I like it. I like it. This good. is 13 days old. This is good marketing. I know that, but people don't need to know that. And You know what? Can I just suggest? Serious XM 143. Have your camera people work in more stash shots. Oh, like, they will. Like maybe sure, they need Julie to zoom in and then zoom off sure. of the stash. <laughs> make sure it's a part of the show. Yeah, do it. Okay, have a it's great like show, the guys. Falk. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Matthew. It's good to be back. I miss you. Good to have you back. Get, get and back. and all three of you. You two in the stash. <laughs> have fun, guys. Have a great show. We will. Knock them dead. That's great. I got to grow a stash. I'm doing a stash. Write that down. I'm doing a stash. I'm not going to write that down. And then I'm going to just rub it on the microphone. Matt, is that your stash flapping on the microphone? Well, yes, it is. We'll have to put those wind things on the the mic so that 
my stash doesn't create too big of a breeze. I did have a little beard going, but I shaved it for the family. They said it's creepy walking downtown with them when I have a stash like that. Kind of look like a pedophile? Kind of. Kind of weird. Uh, Anyway. Hey, uh, cops, did you hear about this? A man shown in a surveillance video. This is, again, this is for the, the, the bad boys of our life. Again, on the show, we try to help not just the healthy people, but the criminals. A man shown in a surveillance video crashing his pickup into the front desk of a northwestern Oklahoma hotel and nearly hitting two women is facing charges. The incident happened at Alva Comfort Inn and Suites after a bill dispute. Police say 62-year-old John Parsley of Gonzales, Texas, wanted a refund on two transactions. Officer Wade uh, Suffin says he offered to talk to a manager, but Parsley drove off and crashed into the hotel. The video shows the truck back up after an after the initial hit and slam into the lobby again. Parsley faces two felony counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and one count of malicious injury to property. Holy cow. What is happening? You're not going to get your your money back, sir. Sorry. Don't make me get my truck. I mean, who got, who does that? Was this was this in Florida or somewhere No, else? that's what's so weird about it. It was in Oklahoma. But the guy was from Texas. I mean, we always joke about how sometimes a lot of these stories come out of Florida. That's not fair. This one came out of Oklahoma. Hey, uh, did you hear about this? Here's the hero story of the day. You know we like to always end on a good note. The hero story is the way we do that. There's a 27-year-old man that I'm going to hold up as my hero of the day. He saved his mother, who is in a wheelchair, and carried her down 15 flights of stairs in a burning uh, Dubai hotel. Listen to this story. Uh, This story, by the way, from um, DailyMail.com. A man caught up in New Year's skyscraper inferno uh, told how he saved his wheelchair-bound mother by carrying her down 15 flights of stairs as the building was engulfed by flames. Angus Villar, 27, who lives in Fulham, southwest London, strapped his disabled mother to his back as he rushed to escape the raging fire. Moments before he fled, he took a dramatic picture on the 15th floor balcony at the star, uh, five-star address downtown to show how close the blaze came to him. The equity sales trader, 27, dashed down the stairs in the hotel with his mother Barbara, 64 years old, on his back. He had to hoist his mother Barbara onto his back as he dashed down the stairs and described the chaotic scene as pandemonium. Recalling the ordeal, he said, I got to the fire escape before the actual fire alarm had started going off. By which point, there were already people running into the corridors, panicking. Essentially, I ended up having to put somebody on my back who was in a wheelchair. It was basically crazy. Mr. Villar, uh, um, basically, it's a 200-room hotel, which boasts 600 private apartments. And you may have seen the footage on on television. It was engulfed in fire. He carried her down, uh, fearing that he would be suffocated if he went. Once he got out, he didn't want to go back in, but he had left all of his stuff in there. He wasn't able to carry anything out except for his mother. And so he is our hero of the day, Angus Villar, 27-year-old guy. You took care of your mom. You took care of your family. You are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. Again, 
we all can be heroes one way or another. We're here to watch out for each other, to help those that are in need. And this show, uh, our goal is to help make sure all of us um, can step up to that role when we need to give you the tools you need. We're back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk again tomorrow. Take care.